I did also like that what it meant was because they were all on the breaking surf, the dragon must have been standing in the water getting his toes cold. Like, do I, can I come in yet? Can, can, can she not just say Dracaris? They get like challenged by, you know, Winterfell Guardsman 1. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the basically says, look, his red shirt can be seen poking out from underneath his arm. <laughs> yeah. um, how do I get bronzy on rice on the Iron Throne? <laughs> Everybody else dies. Yeah, there's a massive battle and everyone dies because they're all involved, apart from Bronzion, who, again, inexplicably, is somewhere else. <laughs> He's still alive. Hello and welcome to Shark Liver Oil. I'm Matt. I'm Dave, hello. And this week we're doing the penultimate episode of Game Hell. of Thrones called The Bells! The Bells! <laughs> I had a 20 quid bet with myself that you would do that in announcing the name of this episode, and I'm so happy that it's come off. Yeah, you'd, you'd have got short <laughs> odds on that bet, I'd have said. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, one-to-one, clearly. Um, yeah, we've come a long way. Um, many of you have come all the way with us from the very first series, which we actually did as just the books, um, yeah. and we've we've slowly moved over to doing the series because we, we slowly lost faith that the books are ever going to be finished <laughs> that was so. there was a great deal of self-control on choosing to end that f sound with the word finish rather than <laughs> something else well done indeed matt <laughs> it reminds me of that have you ever seen that episode of the thick of it where the sweary um like spin doctor sends a message over and says get over here asfp like, <laughs> one of them goes what do you think the f means is Feasibly. <laughs> anyway, enough of that. On to yeah. Brilliant. So this so we'll be we'll be breaking the episode down as we do every week, uh, scene by scene. Um, you know the drill. If you listen to other podcasts that do this, there are plenty of them out there. Um, but we will hopefully bring a slightly different take. We will. And, uh, We're special. Yeah. The, the, this is interesting. This episode because, as we said at the end of the last series of game season of Game of Thrones. It hit a bit of a wobble, and yeah. we had some sort of mixed reviews of the last episode. So this yeah. one, the penultimate. Yeah. What were your What were your general thoughts? I thought it was. I thought where it got to, it didn't get to the right way. But that's a problem I have with how the series has been for the last season and a half. Mm. I thought where it got to was fucking genius and it actually turned around my general feelings of mare drifting to the end that I've had about this for quite some time mm. so I'm I'm in the, apparently the minority of people who thought that this was great because what is it 500,000 people have signed the petition online asking for the whole of this season to be rewritten by competent writers showing spectacular insight into the way TV series are made these days yeah fire the lads that are on the on the masthead for it yeah get me and my mate mate Barry to do it yeah we've got a better idea I think it shows spectacular insight into the way sort of television's consumed these days that people are doing that now. Um, yeah. At the time was you'd sort of if you didn't like the way a series was going, you'd have a bit of you a moan be... about it, but you wouldn't yeah. start. You wouldn't start a petition on change.org to yeah. <laughs> redo it all, and so. then half a million people sign the fucker. I'm yeah. like, I tell you what, if I'm the guy who's got a petition out there to do something really important like combat climate change that's got 50, like fifty thousand signatures, I would be pretty <laughs> yeah. pissed right now about the state of a song of ice and fire. Yeah. 
Oh well, yeah. I think we may be um, we may be a bit more positive on the on the episode than than a lot of. Oh uh, really? I, w- I was really wondering how you were gonna how you were gonna take it because we went different directions last time, didn't we? We were both for the for um uh for the the Battle of Winterfell. We were both we both kind of like a bit yeah. The wheels came off that last mm. time. I thought was a bit crap, and you thought was pretty good. So I was really curious. Like, are you also in a positive place? Yeah, I thought it was my first watch. I thought it was good with problems, and then I've watched it twice more now, and I would elevate it to sort of really, really good, but with problems. So, you know, <laughs> fair uh, enough. <laughs> it gained one really every time you rewatched it. Did, That's yeah. Pretty good. yeah. So by the time I've watched it, so it's ten, eleven times. It's going to be. Um, it's probably going to be the greatest be, episode of all time. It's going to be fucking masterpiece. Yeah. It's going to be two thousand and one: A Space Odyssey, but with extra horses. <laughs> I'm always interested in your opinions as well. Of course, shortliveroyalpodcast at gmail dot com is the email address to send your feedback to. Not got much time left. Um, we'll be back onto the books after next week. So uh, yeah. if you do want to talk Game of Thrones, do please send it in soon. You may have a bit longer than the most podcasts because we tend to record quite late, as you can tell, because actually most people <laughs> listen to this now will have already seen the last episode. So if you want to um, yeah, throw in your comments about that and uh, maybe laugh at some of the um, predictions we'll be making in the next hour hey, or so. You did all right last them. time, by the way. Did you notice that? That you were like the first scene of this... Was was I could just hear you wherever you were in the world watching this. I could hear you moonwalking with sheer victory. Yeah, just sort of like yeah, nailed called it, it called it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some of the things I didn't quite nail so well. So we'll, we'll get to yeah, that. Yeah, if you'd have known what was going to happen in this episode and you didn't tell me, there would be problems. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, we start as you say. The intro's the same, so we have to discuss that. Um, Varys is writing a letter. This little kid comes in. She basically says she won't eat, and. I'm being watched. It's. I think it's quite clear from this that Varys is sort of pulling all the levers he's got left at the moment in desperation. He's writing letters. He's trying to poison her, uh, Daenerys. Yeah. And it's. It's sort of. I got a sense here. The first sort of couple of minutes, Varys has reached a stage where he's just he's doing the hail mary passes. It's reckless. He yeah. knows it is, yeah. but he can't see any other way to to stop what's about to happen. Yeah, and this. At this stage in the episode, I was very... I didn't think what was going to happen was going to happen. And so I still found Varys being, like, in Hail Mary mode, as you say, a little bit unrealistic. Mm. Or perhaps a good example of this TV series just missing out massive chunks of slow build. Yeah. In order to just get a character to doing something new. Which is which is the the weakness that this episode has and actually the last two series have had as well, is that they've just been like dropping in the bullet points and then yeah. working out the minimum they need to do to get to them. Yeah. Um, but but Varys acted it very well. I did think, really interestingly, that there was a slight vibe of the way Varys was talking to this this little bird. And we know that he's had these quote little birds throughout. That's what he calls his like these kids that he's got running all over the citadel, you know, seeing stuff and knowing stuff. Yeah. Um there was something a little bit odd in it. And it just being presented because I don't think we've ever seen a full conversation between Varys and one of his spies before. And mm. I was just very struck by this is the fact that this is a child who's being asked to do extremely dangerous things and whose opinion of what right and wrong, you know, being complicit in potentially in, a, in an mm. assassination, you know, that that in a completely different context, you would describe that as child abuse. That's, you know, that's inappropriate, um, you know, in, asking a child to act in an inappropriate adult way. Um, 
you know, for somebody else's good or gratification. And yeah. um, and I, I, there was just quite a creepy undertone to this. And it really interestingly, like, brought me back into this thing about Varys, of, of looking at him and being like, you know, while I like his whole thing about for the realm, um, he has always been this character who is willing to manipulate people to get what he wants. And yeah. that that is not something that usually happens without damaging people. So it, it was an interesting little thump against Varys as a, as a, as a sympathetic character. To me, anyway, I, didn't know if, I don't know if you felt that. Yeah, the thing that struck me about that conversation was he does sort of try and comfort the child a little bit in what, it's, in what, the, in what she's doing. But even though the things he says are vaguely sort of, you know, comforting, his face is just blank. He's not yeah. sort of you don't. He, there's no warmth from him, um, even that. Yeah. Or, or if there is, it's it's shown in a very sort of very strange way, not the way you'd normally try and comfort a child. Um, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, he's obviously the, a guy on the edge at the moment. The, the I think that's of, a really good take on it. I hadn't really mm. thought of that. I wasn't thinking on this like he's on the edge thing. But your description of the of the scene absolutely nailed why I think it was why it was weird. And yeah. Why some, it something a feels. Weird thing. Yeah. Something yeah. feels uncomfortable about it, um, beyond yeah. the fact that yeah, you got a, you got a kid trying to poison a um, yeah. sort of an adult, a monarch. Um, yeah, yeah. John arrives on the beach, sort of cut to very speaking to him, basically. Yeah. And again, he's it, sort of this is sort of all the chips in, like last. But yeah. you, you know, you got a couple of bad cards, and you just put all the chips in on them. You think, well, maybe, maybe it's going to work. It goes and yeah. tries to sort of effectively, um, sort of recruit John. Um, and get him to sort of change his mind. It's never really going to work, is it? Because no, John's no not chance. that kind of guy. But Varys no. tries it in the in the sense of saying, you know, he says without saying, "I know who you really are, and I know that you'd be a better ruler." Uh, so yeah. it's about time you step up. And of course, yeah. John says, "Come on, no, that's yeah. not, that's that's not like, going to do uh, it." Have we met? <laughs> so, yeah. It's basically his response to that. Um, <laughs> And it's reasonable. And again, I think the audience is sort of going with him at this point because we are very invested in the 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 head to head that's been set up of Daenerys versus Cersei. Yeah. And if you ask us to choose out of those two, it's Daenerys. Mm. And I also don't think anybody else in the audience is as worried as Varys is. And perhaps we should be at this point. Well, obviously we should be at this point. But like at this point, perhaps that's something that more in the audience should pay attention to because Varys has has served a Targaryen king before. He knows what it looks like when they go crazy. Yeah. And it's very, you know, he knows how bad it is. Um, and But I wasn't, and I, I think most of the angry responses to this episode have come from the fact that everybody here is pulling for the conventional ending, for this yeah. to be the big head-to-head between somebody I can really root for and somebody I really can't root for. Um, yeah. and, and so I think we just skip over the fact that Varys is probably a more trustworthy source in these areas. Than uh, than we might think. Yeah, I do think the big thing with John as well. He's all about honor and stuff, but also yeah. I think his 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 sense of justice is always about you know um, it's very reactive. It's always as it as really let's let's be honest, yeah. it should be that you know yeah. he judges people on things that they've done, not things that they might do. Um, yeah, yeah, so. I, that's a great read actually, and again. It just it's one more thing in the kind of on the side of the scales that is Jon Snow would be a good king because mm. there's all sorts of stuff as Caroline said last week which are not which are reasons why he would be a terrible king mm. um, but that fact that he's instinctively just 
is is obviously in the hopper of like quite good things. It also means that Varys is onto a hiding to nothing with this yeah. conversation, <laughs> and he knows it, and it's written all over his face. He's basically going and asking, "Hey, ha, here it is." He's going asking fire to turn into ice. There you go. Uh, which has already been done once, you know. Yeah. So, <laughs> so it's not going to happen again. <laughs> Um, Tyrion goes to see Daenerys. He thinks he's gonna have to. He's gonna have to bring this to her. Daenerys, yeah. as we, as um, as sort of very suddenly the scene before hasn't been eating. Has locked herself away. We see her. She's pretty much gone sort of full uh, Wuthering Heights era Kate Bush. She's just sort of <laughs> hairs everywhere. There's a reference. <laughs> yeah. Um, do we? Do, by the way, before we get to the conversation that she has with Tyrion, do we buy this? Do we do we feel like the the groundwork has been laid properly for Daenerys is now like off at the hinges? Because I mm. I really felt I can understand the bare bones of what's supposed to have brought her to this point, but I don't I'm not feeling it. You know I'm feeling the stuff from early on where she's horribly abused by Viserys and um you know like and you know she loses a kid you know there's Miri Mazdur there's all of that I felt all of that. And I just haven't felt the things that are supposed to have tipped her into madness when mm. she's so close to her goal as somebody who defines herself as somebody who is merciful and just and about freedom. Yeah, I, I, I haven't felt this journey enough. Have you felt it? Like, do you, you, are you, can you feel it with her? Um, I mean, I thought that, that over the course of the last three episodes, how she's lost pretty much everyone close to her apart from Grey Worm, who's who's. Also, and sort John. of consumed by revenge at this point, um, yeah. I kind of did. I did. I, that did track for me in terms of how she gets here. She finally, she sort of finally gets to that point. But I, mm. I, I do think the problem that I had with it, and, and and that Kate had with it actually as well, was I think in the previous series, the previous seasons, I'm not sure there was enough there of her sort of potential madness. That that we saw, yeah. I think it would. I think it would have tracked better. This this is sort of the one of the the issues. I think that was a problem with the episode. Is that I think it would have been. It would have sort of felt more believable if the you'd spent the last seven seasons liking Daenerys, but also thinking, oh, I'm not sure if she's really all there you know she, she seemed a yeah. bit more volatile than she was because I don't think although there was a few there's obviously there's stuff she's done which has been quite extreme it, yeah. it's never really felt sort of that she's she's right on the edge of tipping into a character that you're gonna you're gonna hate or you're gonna be really horrified yeah. of she's not like a Walter White or a Tony Soprano style character oh, where you think you know yeah. you kind of you kind of like them you think but also, you've, you're sort of you're not surprised if they do something monstrous. Well, that's interesting though, because what you're describing there is the sort of classic anti-hero, right? Mm. Like that the, you can't help liking them, even though they're probably terrible, mm. um, or you're aware of their capacity to do terrible things, even though they're the protagonist and you sympathise with them. Like Daenerys isn't the only protagonist of Game of Thrones, but also, I think. Every time she's done something monstrous in the past, it has it has felt justified in mm. the sort of moral universe of the story in terms of it's always done to somebody that's been horrendous to her, right? Yeah. And we're always rooting with her and against the person that's been horrendous to her. Um, but 
I actually, my interpretation of what she does in this episode is that that may be the point. So I still think that there are holes in the the um, her character pathway to this point that certainly meant that I wasn't feeling what she was feeling here. Mm. But I think that they're, they're doing a thematic thing rather than a character thing here mm. at the end, which is definitely risky in a show that's been so well acted and so well written in terms of character. But I think they're doing a thematic thing which is completely consistent with with the way that they've with, with the way that they built her up and the way mm. that they presented you her her story so I'll, I'll do more about that at the end when it when it all starts kicking off but i yeah. feel like it might i agree with you that the the character work wasn't there to get us there but i think that might actually have been the point to a certain extent right okay yeah yeah we'll talk more about that as we get on um so Daenerys basically says, yeah, Tyrion says, someone's betrayed you. She immediately says, yeah, I know, it's Jon, isn't it? And I like the, w- the way Tyrion sort of, sh- sort of shops Varys. He sort of says yeah. it really softly. And I just yeah. thought it was a really, really brilliant yeah. way of him doing it. Really, it really, yeah, you got MVP. the sense of it all. Yeah. yeah, like, yeah, you really, yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly the right way of putting it. You just felt every bit of it in his voice. The fact that he knows that he's doing something that's going to kill somebody, but that he still needs to put it across in a way which communicates that he is not following her down this mad route of doubting the people that she hates. Yeah. Um, you know, that he's like, his role is to present a different position. Um, in a sense, as that you know, to be wise for her, and I think in that moment he realizes that that is a quick way to get dead when you're dealing with somebody who is, as she appears to be, insane. Hmm. But he can't at that point stop the conversation. He can't say, he can't say, no, my lady, it's Varys, but you should probably take John out as well. He has to be like, just whisper it and just kind of let it fall where it's going to fall in her brain. Yeah, yeah. Um, she she sort of pins some of it on Tyrion as well by quite quite rightly to be fair saying <laughs> yeah so I I know how this happened I um John knew he told Sansa she told you you told Varys um so you're sort of you, you didn't come to it's me your first fault. and it's yeah you you're at least partly your fault as well yeah um, uh I thought the the interesting thing about this as well is comparing this kind of exchange to the uh, the conversations that Daenerys and Tyrion had when she was first on Dragonstone, when they were just in this room together on the Rome, where it was very yeah. much almost more like equals talking, and Tyrion was advising um, from a sort of position of parity almost, whereas here it's very yeah. much, he's almost cringing before her, and she, yeah. the power balance is... It, it, it's, it's a very different type of advice than it was before yeah. you know yeah Tyrion's very much not, Tyrion, you can, you, i really got this sense of the journey that Tyrion's gone on from yeah. loving and sort of wanting to help and believing in this uh queen to just fearing and her and fearing the consequences but being too far in yeah to change yeah. now and seeing that and I think that's an interesting reflection on what he knows about what's happened in his family because he's left behind people for treachery. You know, mm. he has been betrayed by people and has left them behind. And this whole thing kicks off with um, one of the major treacheries is is Tywin Lannister way back when deciding to support Robert's Rebellion. Mm. And, um, and so I think he sees, even with his practiced cynicism and world weariness, I think he sees here something that he may not ever have 
understood before, which is that sometimes Hands of the King have horrible situations that they have to deal with. And it's mm. very little chime with Ned Stark, actually, in, in, in Series 1, where he has this job that he hates, but a monarch that he's loyal to, despite that monarch's clear failings. And he's just... He knows it's going to eat him alive, and mm. he doesn't have an option. Yeah. Um, we cut to Varys being <clears throat> arrested, effectively, by um, by some of the Unsullied. He's taken out to uh, the beach. I love that. I be, sorry, before we do the beach, yeah. I love the scene. I love the fact that he's he's carefully writing a letter and then he just carefully puts it in a little mail thing and burns it and just sits there waiting for the door to open. Yeah, uh, that was just it was such a great way for that character to embrace his death. Mm. Um, yeah, as was foretold. Yeah, yeah, and um, he's taken down to the beach. Uh, Tyrion tells him that it was you know it was him. That uh, that told this scene told up yeah it's great stuff yeah the acting my word and the sort of and I felt this I haven't been feeling Daenerys but I felt this the mm. sort of I had no choice I know you had no choice it was still the wrong thing to do like you know that sense of warmth but the fact that they both there's no they both know there's no point in giving in to the enmity thing yeah. at this point and that they both still maintain this little core of themselves which kind of cares or recognises the importance of caring outside the structures of power, even though the structures of power are about to kill them both. Like, mm. incredible. Or kill one of them, at least. Yeah, and this sort of this sort of rather selfless thing that, that Varys says as well, where he basically says, you know, I hope you're right and I deserve it, I really do. Because, yeah. you know, that would be the best thing for everybody. And that's a huge sacrifice for somebody like Varys, whose whole thing is the Master of Whispers. The whole thing is knowing more than other people know. Yeah. And and like he's like, I really hope that I'm wrong, um, yeah. and that he that he has that rather than the ego of the position. Littlefinger would never have said, "I'm I hope I'm wrong." He would have yeah. been trying to weasel his way out of it to the last second. Hmm. Um, but Varys has more of a sense of this is happening. I've tried to stop it. I can't stop it. Here's what's next. Yeah, and the way that this is done is pure sort of horror as well. And I I loved yeah. it. It was it was, it was horrible. <laughs> In the way that the dragon <laughs> yeah. sort of comes out of the darkness behind her, and um, yeah. even after she says it, it sort of the, the dragon takes its time and it's almost like savors yeah. it. And um, yeah. even to the last second, it's I thought, horrible, is it, isn't it? Yeah, even to the yeah. last second, I thought, is it gonna? Is it gonna do it? Is it not gonna? Is she? And then, yeah. of course, it, of, of course, it of does. Course, of course, it, of course, somebody's gonna get burned alive. Yeah. I did. I wasn't quite so sure this would be such a small fraction of the number of people who were burned alive in this episode, I'll <laughs> say. But um, I, it was going to happen. I sort of like that they're on the beach and the dragon appears out of the darkness into the point where it's perfectly lit. The dragon, you have to say, has a perfect sense of where the camera is and where the light oh, yeah, is. Yeah. You know, he works the lens. He works <laughs> he the lens. Did. This 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 dragon has got a future in this business. Although, <laughs> I did also like that what it meant was because they were all on the breaking surf, the dragon must have been standing in the water getting its toes cold. Like, do I, can I come in yet? Can, it, can, can she not just say Dracaris? I'm I'm cold. I'm a dragon, and I'm cold. What's going on? <laughs> um, yeah, so we move on to Daenerys sitting by the fire with uh, Grey Worm. She's, she's got sort of Missendi's sort of like neck, um, sort of neck manacle, which she gives to Grey Worm. Says so it's the only thing that she had, um, and the only possession she brought with her. And Grey Worm throws yeah. it into the fire, which was um, 
Just a nice little yeah. beat, just to just yeah. to sort of reflect on what happened because Miss Endy dies right at the end, and a lot of this yeah. episode is informed by the reaction of Daenerys and and Grey Worm to that. It's nice to yeah. just get a moment of reflection on it, and I think it was well yeah. worth doing. I agree with that. It is very powerful, and it actually sets up better than I felt it did the first time through. What Grey Worm does later in this episode, mm-hmm. um, like and how Grey Worm is just hollowed out now. Like he was kind of like the whole point of being a being a the Unsullied is that you are hollowed out as a human in order to become a merciless killing machine. And then he learns how to love, and that's not cheesy. That's really amazing somehow because it's played and written really well. And then the object of his love dies because one day from retirement, should never have held held hands on the boat, lads. You would have been, you still would have been <laughs> I know, fine. Yeah. Um, but um, but uh, yeah, and then and it just shows like now there's really nothing left for for Grey Worm, and it just mm. shows that complete emptiness of I'm not going to keep keepsakes, I'm not coming back from this, yeah. and that's very that has a great power, and it could have been done more melodramatically, and I think it was done really well here, mm. really restrained. Yeah, uh, then John comes in, and this is sort of. I suppose, without him really knowing, this is John's last chance to, to really, yeah. to sort of write Daenerys back onto the, sort of a different path. Really, um, at least he's not drunk this time. Pardon? At least he's not drunk this time. Last week <laughs> there was a conversation <laughs> like this where she was like, "Are you drunk?" And he went, "No," a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe being a bit drunk would have helped because what he needed to do. With... <laughs> um, but yeah, he obviously. Um, again, turns down Daenerys' advances. I heard another podcast where they said they found it hard to get their head around the the whole reason that Jon has sort of turned to the sixpence here is because he doesn't want to have a sexual relationship with his aunt. I I I do think that's a good enough reason. (laughs) Yeah, me too, I have to say. I'm surprised anybody's objecting to that. But then in this story universe, we have sort of been led to hope that this relationship would come off. Yeah. And again, I I think there's there's a real undermining in this episode of the difference between what's been happening for the characters, what we as the audience have wanted, and what the story has actually been about. Mm. And I like where where they've landed on it. But that is a really interesting point of like, this is set up as a love scene, and they're two stars, and they love one another, and everything else in popular fiction tells you to want them to get together and ignore the fact that they're related. Um, But John, yeah, it was never going to happen, and that's perfectly good enough reason for a character like John not to sleep with somebody. We are related. I don't want to. No, it's horrible. Please, let's not. Yeah, it's funny because I was watching it thinking, oh, you know, the stakes are so high, maybe just give her what she wants. And I was thinking, no, you, you, you should, that's that's horrible, you shouldn't have to do that. And then I kind of yeah, checked yeah. myself and thought, that's kind of what, it's quite an interesting inversion of sort of gender this, because this is kind of what women have been asked to do, you yeah. know, for yeah. centuries. Like, yeah. oh, just give give this powerful guy what he wants and save a lot of trouble down the line. And yeah. um, I just quite, I quite... I quite enjoyed the inversion of that as well and what it made you feel about the two different characters. Yeah, I totally didn't think of that, but I think that is a great read and, like, the subversion of roles in that moment. um, That's a really interesting... a really, really, really interesting point, actually. Um, Mm. Yeah. Uh, So so that's that. 
Daenerys just says, okay, she's saying the only thing I've got if I try and rule alone or, you know, without your sort of support once people find out that you're... Yeah. Yeah, basically, once people find out that you're the sort of got a stronger claim and or as good a claim, it's sort of over for me because... They don't. Yeah. People don't love me like they love you, and yeah. but people are afraid of me because what because of what I have yeah. and the power I've got yeah. with the dragon. So she's sort I of. Told, I think yeah. she I think she she laid this out quite neatly about why she may rationalise what she does later on as well. In that the yeah. only way she can get what she wants is oh. through fear. Well, and the only way that she can stay alive, actually, which has been our whole point, like, because if she takes the throne peacefully and Jon Snow is still there, then she won't rule because there'll be a whole rising in the north. There'll be all sorts of bollocks. Her entire reign will be about it. And that's legit because that's what happened in the last rebellion as well. Mm. Um, And so there's a she's ignoring in her madness the fact that the last rebellion only had an excuse to happen because the, the Targaryen on the throne was mad. But um, uh, nonetheless, this is the uh, this is the kind of argument that she makes. And I actually, again, I hadn't really, I hadn't really realised the precariousness of her position. You know, the idea that if she's not, if people aren't scared of her, she won't last the year. Mm. Um, and I kind of understand why she would do that, and why she would then need feel the need to act in the way she acts later in the episode. Again, I'm doing a lot of spade work for that there. I could have done with a touch more exposition. But yeah. but then again, maybe this is a story that makes sense when you watch it all the way through rather than stopping in chunks. Yeah. Uh, because of the throne room, Tyrion's still sort of pleading for Daenerys to delay and basically to to, to give him a sort of give the city a chance to surrender. Basically saying mm. if they ring the bells it means they've surrendered, that's when you've got to call call off the attack. And yeah. she is not inclined doesn't seem to be inclined to do that she's certainly not inclined to to try and find Listen some, to some yeah yeah she's certainly not inclined to try and find some way of taking the city without um without an all out assault on it now yeah. um and and it feels like Tyrion's argument has has sort of fallen back from don't attack the city to at least stop once the city surrendered and it's not even yeah. clear she's going to do that now yeah, and uh, I, I I felt this. I felt this. Talk about Hail Mary plays. This, I absolutely felt. Mm. Tyrion and what he does over the next few scenes, I was just, I was completely heartbroken by the sort of sincere desperation with which he goes about this task. Because mm. he, he knows perfectly well that it won't come off. But he also knows it's his only option. And he sees it as a way of getting actually everything he wants out of the situation. Hmm. Which is Cersei off the throne, none of his family members dead, and um, his and and his queen on the throne. So he's he's man, he's going for it, and yeah, I I just I I felt this every last step and every bit of desperation. Yeah, I think this um, this scene in the throne room as well was good at illustrating just how little Daenerys thinks of the um, the people in King's Landing, like her low opinion of them. That she yeah. says, okay, yeah, these common folk, blah, 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 they, they, they might not like Cersei, but she compares it to people in Marine and says they rebelled and this lot yeah. aren't. And it's just interesting that she feels much more affection, obviously, to 
the people over him, the East, than the people oh. she's supposed to be f- sort of embedded with. And it's and this this sort yeah. of this story's been really told ever since she's returned to to sort of to Westeros that she's never had the connection with people here than the, um, to this to anything like the same extent she did with the people over in Essos. That's dead interesting because I didn't I didn't get that from this at all. I totally see that that reading of it. I think it makes sense. But what I got from this was I was merciful in Marine and look what fucking happened. Mm, yeah, right? that's a good point. And and so that whole thing of her like like she's sitting there on the throne talking about mercy and basically talking about how it's a high price it's appropriate to kill a lot of people in order to get to a desirable outcome, which is mm. freedom from tyranny for people, because she doesn't see herself as a tyrant. Sure is sans- sure sign so far that she's gone insane. But, um, but she justifies it, and she says, all of this killing and all of this death is appropriate because I'm preventing tyranny. And th- this, is, this was a huge thematic step forward, looking back over this episode, towards the justification for what she does later on and why it makes sense in the context of the series of Game of Thrones because that argument has been made before and we're about to see a dragon rain down fire like an unstoppable fire on the innocent populace of a city and that justification that it's merciful to prevent a bad outcome in the long run is exactly the justification that was used for the firebombing of Dresden and the firebombing of uh, Tokyo in the Second World War. And mm. so there's a there's a really interesting parallel here of what it, with a long enough time frame you could kill millions of people and call it mercy if you justify it by saying, you know, the people who survive are the right people. Mm. And and I think that what we're being what we're being led to here is is a reflection upon what we've all been rooting for the whole time throughout this entire series and certainly since it's become clear that the, the, the head-to-head, the battle royale of this series is going to be Cersei versus um, Daenerys. Mm. Um, and so I, th- I actually I thought that moment was really, really powerful because what she's really saying is they love me in Marine as well and I still only just got helicoptered out on the last helicopter out of the embassy from the middle of that fighting ring. So, yeah. Yeah. so what fucking good's it going to do me? Like it's yeah. all, all there is is aristocrats who seize control of things, she's saying, basically. Because yeah. the people won't give you what you need. So she's uh, saying, yeah, we, we we tried we tried Mercy and Marine, and, and then look what happened. And which is and it didn't yeah. work. And happily, yeah. I still have a portable nuke. Is yeah. what she says, basically. Um, I think, yeah, I think the um, yeah the the, the the two real world world comparisons you, you draw there. I would say the difference there is um, those in, in in those two examples, neither of them had already surrendered, and I think that is the. That's the very difference true. here, because very true. this very, very true. But that's that's sort of where the whole episode turns on that point, isn't it? Which we, obviously yeah. we're we're hurtling towards. Or yeah, no, absolutely. You, you are towards. you are absolutely right. Um, yeah, I think the the power of the moment that's coming later is presenting us with the consequences of the logic and the worldview mm. rather than the specifics of the case. I think, but that's a, that's a very very excellent point. Um, that uh, yeah yeah. Sorry, Karen. So we end with um, Daenerys saying Jamie's been captured, trying to get back to King's Landing. It's just another sort of blow for Tyrion's sort of prestige. He's made another yeah. mistake because he's backed his family again, 
and said, yeah. "No, you can, you can, you can believe what they're saying this time." And it's staying out, in the north. Don't worry about it. Yeah, <laughs> no, yeah. So another, and but this time Daenerys says, "Look, you make another mistake, and and it'll be your last one." Basically, bloody hell, she's not really winning friends and influencing people, is she? Like she, her whole anxiety at this point is that she doesn't have much of a support network, but she's got one of the great minds of the Seven Kingdoms as as the hand of the queen. And mm. she's acting in a way towards him, which is basically designed to send him back to the already existent and very, very well-funded power structure from which he was birthed and which he has lots of reasons not to want to go back to. She's kind of competing with the House Lannister to give Tyrion a reason to go back. And well, that's, I, I think, that's, I think that's she's, quite hard. She's, she's trying to make him make it clear, make him so frightened that he would never go back to it. Because she's, uh, she's sort of thrown in. She's, she's given up on getting people to like her now, including her own advisors, and she just wants everyone yeah. to be too afraid, of afraid yeah. to do anything other than obey her. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah. it's hard when you've got, when you've got an advisor, it's, it, it's, you know, just obedience isn't really useful. It's use, yeah. in, just entire, it's, that's not the, the point of an advisor, is yeah. to, to sort of tell you difficult truths and stuff, not just say yes all the time, which is what she yeah. seems to be pushing him to now. Yeah, and and that and you know that's one of the key differences between a mad ruler and a uh, a sane ruler is a mad ruler just wants everybody to say yes, hmm. and what that ends up in is always the fact that there's no amount of aristocracy or even dragonfire that will keep you safe when you're screwing the world around you to that extent. Um, hmm. You know, eventually there's going to be some splashback, and that splashback is going to be pretty ugly. Yeah, we go. Um, we then go into the city for the first time. We meet this um, little girl with the with a wooden horse and her mum, who we'll keep sort of cutting back to throughout the. the <laughs> a bathroom. classic. This reminded me of that that uh, woman and her child from Hard Home, where yeah. you were like, where that episode where you're like, this is a, this is a sort of genre of character that you get in Game of Thrones, where they pull somebody distinctive out of a crowd to make them a proxy for that crowd. And mm. so I just spend my entire time watching the episode going. Oh, she's gonna die. Oh, she's <laughs> yeah, gonna die in a really yeah. horrible way. Oh, I'm gonna wait for the most horrible way of dying to be available because that's how she's gonna die. Yeah, yeah. Um, Tyrion and uh, John head over to the army, um, which is camped outside King's Landing now. Um, Tyrion asks Davos for a favor. I assume that's. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I'm sure I'm I not gonna lie I... this. Yeah, oh, so I, if that's the last I see of Sir Davos, I will be sad because he's great, but that's a great going outline. <laughs> I'm not going to like this, am I? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I assume what he's asking for is two things. One, help smuggle Jamie out of the camp, and yeah. two, have this sort of escape route ready for him um, when he wants to yeah. get out of King's Landing later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um we have a couple of like lighter moments where the Hound and I are making their way through the, the sort of siege lines, and they get like challenged by you know Winterfell guardsman one, and, uh, <laughs> and, and the, the Hound basically says, "Look, whose red shirt game. can be seen poking out from underneath his armor." <laughs> yeah. The Hound says, "Almost, almost says, sorry, who are you? No, sorry, we're moving on." Um, <laughs> it's so good, isn't it? It's like it's it's the sort of backstage pass of pitiless <laughs> badasses, isn't it? They're just sort of riding through, like smirking, going, "I have killed more men than you've eaten breakfast with." Move aside. Yeah, and um, Tyrion uh, dismisses the guards um, that are guarding Jamie. It's the Unsullied, 
and yeah. he tries to say it in their language, and it's, it's clear how how bad how bad his um, how bad his high valerian or whatever it is is. Um, I it was so I, bad I that I, I thought I thought he was trying to say a password at first. Yeah, like, yeah, me too. And I, I so uh, having lived abroad for quite a long time and having worked quite hard at language, but certainly for a long time, it's just steep learning curve to be good at a language any language i've had that experience countless times admittedly not when i was in the middle of political and diplomatic intrigue to try and set loose my aristocratic brother who would something 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 there are many ways in which i'm not similar to Tyrion lannister in this situation but cracking out a language and having it just fall completely flat and to say something accidentally really insulting as a result of that is a familiar experience yeah my favorite one by the way is if you try and say cheers in, in Khmer, in the language that they speak in Cambodia, if you say it wrong, if you've got a glass of beer and you want to go cheers, if you say it a little bit wrong, you say, go fuck yourself. <laughs> That's absolutely true. <laughs> That's a dangerously close word, isn't it? I, it really is. I'm like, who decided this? <laughs> um, I did think that... Uh, I did think that it was a bit easy for Tyrion to both access and release Jamie. Considering his track record since serving Daenerys, I would have thought Daenerys mm. would have said, keep this Jamie Lannister in chains and Tyrion doesn't get close to him, okay? I know he's the hand <laughs> of the king, but he doesn't get close to yeah, him. But that's it, isn't it? Like, if she underman- undermines her own hand, then she has to appoint a new hand and she doesn't want to do that because there's yeah, nobody true. around that yeah. can do it for her. Um, but also, um, also because she's just done her living best to scare the crap into him. Mm. That like as you say, like you are in the last chance saloon, pal, type yeah. thing. Um, not quite realizing that we're in the second to last episode of the TV series about her, and so there's quite a lot of kind of fantasy Eckler apocalyptic vibe around the place, and everybody rolling the last dice they've got. And this yeah. is definitely Tyrion rolling his last dice, knowing that he's going to die anyway. So, yeah, yeah. So Tyrion goes in to see Jamie, frees him, and the plan is, you know. Get into, get into the Red Keep. Get to Cersei and get it to surrender before it's too late. Um, <laughs> that sounded to me like that bit in Resident Evil Two where he goes, "There's no reason to stick around any longer than we need to. Let's split up, look for survivors, and get out of here." It's like the first half I definitely agree with. The second bit I do not see as a logical corollary, and I think we're probably going to die as a result of it. <laughs> yeah, just get into the Red Keep during a war, mate. During a siege, not a problem. Done. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, I thought this scene was really lovely, by the way. Like, Mm. I thought, I I began to see here little seeds of how the plot might resolve itself. Because Mm. what you've got thematically is you've got Tyrion Lannister, who has been screwed by everybody, who has been, who has nonetheless found himself in this incredibly powerful position. And he is still, despite the fact that his own sister has tried to have him killed twice, and his dad is uh, following in his dad's footsteps, tried to have him killed hundreds of times. And he's still down there saying to his brother, who he knows has travelled down because of a, a, a completely insane over-devotion to this woman who has tried to kill Tyrion many times. Um, he still wants to act to preserve the well-being of the people he loves. Mm. Like, he can't not act in a way that he's, he, he, he wants for their good. And mm. I thought that was incredibly powerful because that is incredibly counter to all of the rules of how everything is supposed to go in the game of thrones in the way power relationships go and all of that sort of thing this was just completely counter to that he hasn't acted 
mercilessly towards somebody who has acted mercilessly towards him. He's, he's you know, apparently forgiven. He's putting himself on the line in order to save the life of somebody he cares about, regardless of how that person is likely to behave back. Like, it was, it's just an extraordinary subversion of everything that's supposed to happen. Mm. And Tyrion is still alive. And I started to see an interesting way of how, if it does end up with Tyrion on the Iron Throne, which I don't think it will anymore, um, but if it does, that would be an incredible subversion of the whole plot arc to this mm. point. Uh, and of, of everything that success looks like in Westeros being turned on its head by Tyrion acting this way. If the plan had come off, it would have been genius. Mm. Obviously, it doesn't. Yeah, he also sees it as his sort of his last great chance to to try and save all these people in the city. Um, yeah. Jamie says a couple of interesting things. Um, one being, you know, it, it, uh, I never much cared for the people innocent or otherwise which is which is kind of obviously bravado in a in a sense because yeah. the whole the whole thing moment that informed his life was the decision to kill um the mad king to save all those people in yeah. the city um yeah. but I, I did feel that he says that now because of he's he's changed now he doesn't really care because because he yeah. did that and all he got was what three de- well two decades of everyone saying he was an absolute shit um, yeah, given the yeah. opportunity to do it again he doesn't really care about that anymore he just wants to get back to Cersei that's dead interesting actually yeah and that's a solid read Like he's, I still think as I said last week I think the decision that Jamie made to come down here and be with Cersei is bollocks I think it makes sense for season 3 Jamie uh, season 5 Jamie even it doesn't make sense for season 8 Jamie and I think it's nonsense but mm. given that he's made that decision this is very consistent yeah, uh, to the character. So yeah, yeah. I didn't like it last episode. I think the way this, the, the last few scenes for Jamie in this episode, made it made a bit more sense to me. But um, but we'll get to those yeah. a bit later on. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Um, he also says he's the stupidest Lannister, which um, which he goes on to prove which, again a bit later on. <laughs> which um, she's like, everybody's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, yes, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. And there's this there's this really moving final moments as well where Tyrion's basically, I love this line where Tyrion says to Jamie, you know, um, you were the only one who didn't treat me like a monster you were all I had yeah. when he was yeah. when, he, when he was younger yeah. and vulnerable and that's what I mean is that he's he's reflecting back to Jamie that mercy regardless mm. of the other violences which Jamie is responsible for Tyrion saying, I know that you have this in you because you did it to me mm. and so now I'm doing it for you that, that again, really powerful thematic piece for that character. Hmm. Um, we move into the the big match build up. We, um, I, I love, I love the way, I love the way um, Game of Thrones does these pre battle build ups. I yeah. love the way they did it um, with the, uh, the the big battle of Winterfell. I love yeah. the way they do it now, where you've got sort of the Iron Fleet waiting. You've got the wall sort of crossbows all setting up. Everyone going to their positions. The civilians yeah. sort of trying to hide or find somewhere to sort of stay out of the way as best they can. Um, yeah. You've got this sort of our key uh, characters like the Hound and Arya and and Jamie sneaking into the city, um, and the Golden Company as well. We see them sort of sort of marching out out of the gates. I did love on on sort of subsequent watches, and I'm not watching it just to sort of see what happens you really start to appreciate just how great everything looks as well and just just how yeah. well shot it is how much care yeah. and attention has gone into all the costumes like this golden yeah. company 
They're only on screen for about five minutes total in the entire series, but every yeah. single bits of them it looks is unique and just yeah. really leaps off the screen. I agree with that, and actually that ties to a point I was going to make about this this episode as a whole, given that it contains another uh, extended violent sequence. Uh, but they they found the light switch between <laughs> the Battle of Winterfell and and this um, and the bells because it's just it's just beautifully shot. Like, and I really like you. I was really enjoying the production values, the cinematography, the way it's been put together. Um, mm. And it's nice, like, they, they're really going out on a high in terms of production values, and I appreciate that. Yeah. It's interesting that as the Golden Company line up outside the city, we have this slow tilt um, of a shot which sort of rises above uh, Harry Strickland's shoulders and yeah. is facing out, and you see, the, you see the other army ahead. And that's pretty much exactly the same shot that we had before the Battle of the Bastards from behind John. Oh, and, yeah. And it's, it's quite... I like what that says about how, you know, now John's the invaded army and yeah. it's just setting us up to, um, to for this twist where we, later on in the episode, realise that it's now the John and, uh, and the Northern army and Daenerys' army which are committing the atrocities and yeah. it's the yeah. Lannisters and the people of King's Landing that are actually become the victims and the defenders. Yes, yes. Yeah, and and that I think it is being presented with that that people really hate about this episode. I think this is one of the reasons why people hate it because you're seeing mm. characters that you like commit atrocities, and what they're doing is again subverting the standard thing of if you're going to have an anti-hero, you kind of like them and then you kind of don't, and then they die at the end, and that that mm. makes it okay. Um, but you're not supposed to have characters that you genuinely sympathise with do things which are appalling. And mm. that's what we are about to see. And the point of that, of course, is to say that is what has been happening throughout. Nobody gets to be like this. Nobody gets to be in a position of power in this story universe without being like that. Mm. And, it's, it's a, and that, I think, is a very important point. Um, that we have been wanting somebody to win the Game of Thrones. And I think the point is... The game and the throne are the problem. Mm. And and I think that is the point that's being made here. And as we line up for it and you just kind of, particularly on a second watch, you're like, oh, shit. Like, I'm pulling for the bad guys here mm. in terms of what's about to be done. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the, we start now, the, the battle begins with uh, the, the dragon coming down. I like how... I like the the stuff the first on, on first watch of this when Daenerys basically comes down on the dragon and just blitzes every like just just flattens everything. Yeah. It's um, yeah. the the Iron Fleet go the um, all the scorpions on the wall go and the dragon doesn't even take an arrow. And I thought, yeah, mm, it's a, you know this is a bit too easy. It's a bit pat. Yeah. yeah, but on on second what on second and third watch, I thought actually the way it's told does make sense. The only the only thing that undermines it is what happened to the other dragon in the last episode where three scorpion bolts so hit easily. it so easily. Yeah. 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 Um, but, I, from ships yeah. as well, which are sort of rocking backwards and forwards. Like, that's not a good position from which to try and use artillery. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I agree with that. Like, I thought the death of the dragon last time wasn't good enough, 
but the the power of the dragon this time is kinder the first time we've seen why everybody's scared of a Targaryen with a dragon. Um, yeah. Like why we like we've seen the dragons obviously do all sorts of terribly badass shit, but they've almost always been they've kind of been Chekhov's weapon of mass destruction. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they've kind of always been there to represent a power that you might never actually see used to its fullest extent. Mm. And the start of this battle scene is pitiless because it is the weapon being used to its fullest extent with yeah. no moral restraints on it whatsoever. And it is it is brutal. And again, I think the point of it is to present us fanboys who have been quietly enjoying the violence of the series all this time with the fact that this is what violence looks like. Mm. Fine, you want a power fantasy? Which is a huge trope in recent popular culture, by the way, like video games particularly, where you just get everything right at the beginning and then you just waltz through an entire game world killing everybody really easily. Mm. Um, you know, like, it's power fantasy stuff. Fine, you want a power fantasy? You want a dragon that can kill everything? This is what a dragon looks like when it's killing everything. Mm. And it is, it is, again, it's sobering. And I think that is the thematic point of the episode. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, because I mean, yeah, my first impression of the of the dragon was, yeah, oh, you, you they hit the they hit the first one last week, the you know the other one last week, and now you've got all these these weapons and nothing can hit it. But I suppose yeah. that yeah, on second and third watch was, I still think the the dragon in the episode before was a problem. But I suppose yeah, the I agree. defense yeah. the defense you make for it is they like they were just sort of flying along nice as you please, and then it's an cruising ambush. altitude. Whereas, yeah, this one, um, they've thought, like Daenerys has thought tactically about how she does it, and it's swooping oh, and banking yeah. all over the show. And yeah. um, the way it sort of it comes down out of the sun, so you you sort of can't really see it. So yeah. Euron sort of fires bl- blindly at it for the first one, and then gets one more shot off as it's sort of swooping yeah. around. And then it's kind of carnage. You get kind of two shots each, and yeah. you need a hell of a lot of luck to hit with it. So I, I did find... Yeah. The fact that once it gets sort of around the ships, and once it gets to sort of the side of the um, or beneath the scorpions, that it would just just knock everything out, and and yeah. the sort of these impressive looking defenses are just no match for it. Yeah, yeah, very, and they were impressive looking, weren't they? I was quite enjoying the sort of velvet undergarments that were being worn by all the different guys. Those nice red, <laughs> yeah. uh, red padded kind of things under their armor. Um, uh, you know, just before they were all burned to a crisp. Um, yeah, should should have really like, gone for some kind of material that was a little bit more fire retardant. Yeah, I would have. I would have thought that. Yeah, but no, apparently not. You know, yeah. apparently there's no health and safety in Westeros. Clearly, what am I saying? Clearly, there's no no health and safety in Westeros. Um, no, I thought it was really. Yeah, as I say, like it felt in keeping with what this episode was, which is this really apocalyptic end of days type feeling. And I think actually it's quite a ballsy move in a series that's had a load of battle battles where it's, you know, pulled back and forth. And is, is somebody going to win? Is somebody going to win? The Battle of the Bastards, hard home. I mean, we, we've, we've made, we've, we've had a lot of fun with the fact that the battle at the Fist of the First Men didn't, wasn't on screen. But <laughs> yeah. there's like, there's been a decent number of these like absolute set twos, um, Blackwater as well. And like, um, I think it's a really ballsy move for the series not just to stay at cruising altitude and just do another one at the end because mm, yeah. this is a massacre. This the like like the dramatic high point in terms of battles absolutely was the battle of Winterfell. Yeah. And yeah. 
And I think the reason everybody loved that was because it had a clear antagonist. And the reason everybody hates this is that it does have a clear antagonist uh, and it's the person that you're pulling for. And it's yeah. far more morally complicated and, and consistent with what Game of Thrones is actually about to have this be a complete slaughterhouse rather yeah. than, yeah, dragons, fuck shit up, fuck shit up, man, fuck the shit up, the shit is there, <laughs> fuck that shit up. Like, that's not what this series is about. It's 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 been quite... It has had its cake and eaten it at certain points, certainly. But it, I don't, I don't think it's ever been dumb enough to say that, um, to say that all of this violence is definitely a good thing because look, all the look at all the problems it's solving. Mm. It's we've never seen violence solve a problem in Game of Thrones, and yeah. and this to really put all your chips on the square at the end that says, yeah, no, but seriously, what if we did half an hour of violence solving fuck all and making everybody really angry? That is ballsy filmmaking and it's such an incredible way of ending the story yeah yeah it is it did surprise me that the battle was was unconventional insofar as there was never uh, you know there's never any doubt which way it's going after the dragon creates this this havoc and basically blows the gate up behind the golden company that's unbelievable shot right oh yeah yeah that that's basically it as a contest it's it's over. Yeah. It's a massacre. You're then. all you're all done. And the fact that they invest in putting Harry Strickland on screen and they give him the perfect strutting before all of this kicked off. I was watching it with an American friend, and she was like, "He looks like every evil English person piece of recording I've ever seen." And I was like, "Yep, yep, that's that's about right." And and he just is nowhere. Like he doesn't even try and fight when he's being run down by the thing. He just runs away, and like it's just this complete capitulation. Um, and like so, so kind of, so powerful pr- for for presenting that. I think. Yeah, his whole point really is to be a yeah, just almost a non-event of a character, isn't he? Because yeah. it is saying something thematically about what's going on. Yeah, exactly. Like, okay, the Golden Company, badasses, worth buying, sell swords. They're going to make it happen. Oh wait, dragons. Like, it's just it. it the whole point is that the fact that the battle is not going to be between, look, at I've got my... It's not going to be Warhammer. It's not going to be, look, I've got my guys, you've got your guys, roll the dice, let's see what happens. It's going to be the battle is the battle within Daenerys. That is the battle between the Targaryen who came out sane and the Targaryen that came out crazy. It is the battle between the two sides of the coin in Daenerys that we are seeing in this episode and over the last episodes as well, even though we haven't wholly seen it. I'm super interested to go back and watch this whole series once it's done at a sprint and and kind of watch Daenerys's character arc happen to see whether that's justified. Because, as I say, I thought the way they got there in this episode of the turn on the first watch felt very precipitate. It didn't seem to work. But mm. I actually think you you don't stage a battle that's this one-sided by mistake unless the story you're trying to tell is not about a battle on a field yeah. with people and horses and swords and shit, you know? Yeah. Um, we have Cersei standing in the sort of arch looking out over the city the place where she sort of had her greatest victory yeah um, over over her sort of internal enemies yeah and um and sort of kyburn comes up and basically tells her so early like uh, she's sort of she she go, comes up to this window thinking right settling him settling him for the, a long day yeah she goes up to this window like win. like it's widescreen she's like yeah. brilliant got sky sports hd on the go yeah. crack open a tinny <laughs> let's make it happen <laughs> Yeah, Look at all the people like who are about to die on my behalf. 
<laughs> it's like she's settling in for a nine-round title fight. It is. That's Ky- exactly and, and so, it. But Anthony and, Joshua and, and then, comes into the ring. <laughs> yeah, and then Kyburn comes over, sort of halfway through round one, and basically says, "Yeah, it's a knockout." Um, <laughs> Iron Fleet, that Iron Fleet gone. Yeah, Iron Fleet gone. Golden Company gone. All your Scorpions gone. We're, we're, yeah. we're screwed. Like game <laughs> over, man. Game over. It's, it's not even half nine. In the morning. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I know you settled in for the long haul here, but I think we may need to haul in a slightly more literal sense, Your Majesty, if you wouldn't mind. Here's a horse. Yeah. Let's get going. Yeah, there's a, there's like there's a pile of like packets of Doritos and beers behind us. <laughs> like I've not even opened it. I've I've got Cheetos back there. Do you know how often I don't have Cheetos? I've got a box of kettle chips. What are you telling me? Yeah, yeah. So she and she's sort of the last thing she's clinging to is the red keep's never been taken. So you know yeah. we'll we'll make our stand here. Um, we then sort of zoom down into the streets and we we see this standoff between. Um, a big group of Lannisters and um, and some you know, Northmen and yeah. one or two Unsullied with Grey Worm, yeah. and they're sort of facing off across this this street, and yeah, this was I thought this was a good a good little beat of this is how it kind of would have happened as well in yeah. um, in medieval sort of sieges where you get to the stage where it's street to street fighting, you got to yeah. make a decision about yeah. where they go from here, and and you know it's going to be messy. Even without mm. a dragon, this kind of warfare is going to be horrifying, and it is quite. Yeah. A, it's a, it's a quick way to ruin a visit to a medieval city in Europe, by the way. <laughs> to to have like watched, and I've actually found Game of Thrones doing this to me a couple of times, where I've been in places which are the real world historical environments which have inspired this narrative. But now I've got a narrative like this to lay over the top of them. Even having mm. studied history before, it's quite sobering to think of the violence. You know, mm. like it's quite sobering to think of the beautiful winding streets of Riga as having definitely seen violence of this sort committed by the Teutonic Knights, and like, yeah. and it's quite like, because um, I just think of that stuff as being quite pretty, <laughs> yeah. and 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 there's a visceral element to it which fades with time. Um, another yeah. thematic piece of the, of this story universe, by the way. Yeah, I liked this as well because the bit the sort of the face off. Is I've heard of this happening in um, sort of in battles, sort of in medieval and, and further back as well, where um, you sort of you get two armies that get close to each other, and then no one really wants to make the first move to yeah. to, to start it all off, and it's all very tense. There are a lot of examples in history yeah. of two armies that sort of advance on each other to sort of within you know thirty yards, and then they don't go any further because and no one sort of really wants to take that final step and then yeah. eventually it just takes a leader or someone to sort of kick it off and then it's obviously all hell breaks loose but there's yeah. that moment where everyone's just yeah. kind of it's that last chance for things yeah. not to go the way they're going to go and it's an interesting balance between again between the mad and the sane sides of the coin because in that moment no matter what strategic needs have brought you to that point and usually as a foot soldier you don't know what they are you just know that you've been told to you know, use the pointy end in that direction. Um, mm. But whatever's brought you to that point, there's a fundamental human instinct, I think, to say, looks like a lot of death is about to happen here. I'd prefer for it not to. Mm. And, like, and, and you, it, as you say, it is that last hope for peace. And many descriptions of what training soldiers is about say 
it is basically that it's training people not to have that moment of hesitation Mm. Um, yeah, and and I, I think it's really interesting that that is a kind of univer- almost universal in many kinds of warfare, of like, death is going to happen and death is pretty bad. Shall we not? But then, but then yeah. all the logic of everything that's behind you overbrims. In this case, eight, seven other series of plot and and crime and uh, horror all overbrim, and then you're going to be killing each other anyway, and you don't have a choice, and you're a victim of that circumstance and that tide of all the wrong that's gone before you. Yeah, so we've got we've got the two armies facing off. Daenerys lands sort of on the um, on the city walls, and the dragons roaring, and everyone that the Lannisters surrender. Yeah, everyone's sh- you hear a few. There's this. This is the moment where you feel like you're on. You lit. I I, re- yeah. I thought this was fantastic because I really felt like I was on the knife edge here. It's all yeah. quiet. Yeah. You can hear a few people shouting about ringing the bells. You see Daenerys's face, like wide-eyed, sort of fury, yeah. and there's just so many different emotions on her face, yeah. and and it's sort of cut into Cersei's face as she's sort of just defiant, but she kind of knows it's over, yeah. and you're not sure which way it's going to go until yeah. the bells finally ring out. Yeah, and what a moment! Like just so well put together because that is what we're pulling for here. We're pulling for mm. the violence to have been necessary. We're pulling for the, the war to be over. We're pulling for Cersei to be dethroned. That is what we all want. And that's the moment where everybody, like, internally you just start cheering because you're feeling the same fear that those guys on the street are feeling facing each other. You don't want there to be a fight either on some level. And then the bells ring. And it's such a powerful piece of... I mean, this is because I grew up in England where church bells are not an unusual thing to hear. But... um mm. I do find them incredibly lyrical and incredibly beautiful. And there is something to be said for, you know, they're, they're rung at times of national celebration. They're rung at times of, they were rung um, at the end of the second world war, you know, like mm. there's this, there's this sense of outpouring, even in the places uptight as England of emotion in them. And I was, I was here for it and we've been brought to this point, but that's not the end of the episode. Mm. I think there's a, I think Varys says at some point in an earlier season, he remarks on the bells ringing, and says he? he always hated that. Yeah, he says he always hated the sound because it's it never means anything good. And the point he was making oh, is, it, it, it they only ever ring them for celebration of a new king or someone, or that died, someone's yeah. died, yeah. and all all that a city surrendered, all that you know, and it's always just marking a moment of of chaos. You know, some things yeah. things are being thrown up in the air, and yeah. he says he hates that sound. And I just think I don't know where it is in the series. I just vaguely remember him saying it. I, I remember I think it too when we, now. Yeah, yeah. When we watch it again, that'll be very sort of deeply, sort of darkly foreshadowing what happens yeah. later. Well, and and again, like I think a lot of the shade that's being thrown, which as I say, some of which is justified about this episode. Um, I still, I think a rewatch. God knows when I'm going to have time to do a rewatch. By the way, it's seventy fucking hours long. <laughs> Nonetheless, a rewatch I think will lead. Well, I think I, I think I'm going to end up being very impressed about some of the foreshadowing, and I mm. think that that will be the moment where you kind of realise that I don't know what those those uh, internet petition dudes were saying when they talked about competent writers, but you can keep a theme together over twelve years of filmmaking. I think that's about mm. as competent as it fucking gets. <laughs> I can't yeah. think of anything more impressive yeah. than that. Um, yeah, yeah. I do think that. Um, I mean, we've not seen the last episode yet, 
But um, as, as long as it sort of doesn't change wildly from the way it's been going the last few episodes, I do think history is going to be a lot kinder on the end of Game of Thrones than than people are being at the moment. Yeah. I think it's going to be one of those series where a lot of people are angry at the end, and then when you come back to it in a few years, yeah. people will be saying that was a fantastic series and it ended really well even though it was very controversial yes and I think think, yeah me too me too and we agreed last time that what we thought was we were going to say it was great in the beginning and it really tailed off towards the end and I think Mm. there are ways in which it is tailing off towards the end like they are writing to the bullet points but what bullet points is what's is is the thing here that it's the quality of the bullet points that are really saving the ending of this Um, because I agree I think now we will say Holy shit! Like that was that was not what any of us were expecting, but it was good. Um, yeah, yeah. A lot of the problem that um, a lot of people have with the episode, especially even people who generally like it, is <clears throat> this moment and what is it that tips Daenerys over the edge? And I, yeah. the first time I watched it, I didn't buy it, and subsequent watches have made. I've I've got a couple of I've got a couple of thoughts on it that make me like it a bit more now. But what, oh, yeah. what did that? you what, what do you make of it? Why why what is it that pushes does she make the decision here or or was this always going to happen from an earlier point? What 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 was your take on it? I I this is what I was talking about when I said I don't think they got there the right way. Like mm. I I thought in this moment the choice she makes I mean I'm hardly making a, an objective view on it because obviously I don't want her to make that choice and I really feel the emotion of the bell starting to ring. So I don't want her to cut across that but it wasn't there wasn't an inciting event and mm. maybe that's laziness on my part as a viewer maybe if you're going to tell a story over 70 hours you know i asked them what the inciting event is and they just gesture to their entire character arc and maybe mm. i am pissed because the storytelling has taken place at this sort of length i do rather wonder if when we when we go back to doing books that definitely have full stops in them um if we ever do war and peace if that's um, if that's what that is like, you know, told at this sort of epic scale, um, you know, and the whole it's not a sequence of inciting incidents, it's a sequence, of, uh, it's a it's a, an interweaving, a tapestry of inciting characters, maybe, um, and if that's the case, then that's a justification. But it did still make this moment play pretty weak to me. Like it just, I was like, great, you see the red keep, you've been trying to get it for years. Like, it's the whole purpose of your... Built by your ancestors. The whole idea of your identity is to get that fucking thing back. And route one to it is just to fly there and burn Cersei. So, why start on the streets is what I, mm. is, is how I felt mm. about it. And, and I, yeah. as I say, that is the weakest point of the episode. I get why the character gets to this point. I don't get why this point is where it is. And why it looks like what it looks like. Yeah, that's what I thought was going to happen first time. I thought she's yeah. off to the Red Keep to burn it down. Yeah, and that's the shot that invites you to think that. And in a, and in a sense, if their point is to undermine our expectations of such a narrative, then job done, because you look at the Red Keep and then you go and fly somewhere else. That's not how you usually use establishing shots. But mm. um, I, I don't really know why why you would do it, you know, why that would be the incitement for her to say... But first, you know, mm. and then Let's burn some civilians. Yeah, commit yeah. a horrifying act of, 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 of a war crime. You know, 
Yeah, I thought my first thoughts on it were, oh, I wish it, I wish you'd have done it before the bells rang. Um, sort of say, oh there's a, god, there's a yeah, scene that, where yeah, a couple then, of people are, yeah, yeah, d- desperately scrambling to ring the bells, and she she sort of waits and waits, and then just sort of pushes the button and thinks, oh, oh, fuck it, this is never going to happen, and that yeah. that's the moment. Yeah, um, I think, but sort of since like watching it second and third time. What I think, I mean, what I think kind of happens here, and this is just sort of my impression of it, was you look at her expression when she lands on the walls and she's waiting to see if the bells ring. And I think a lot of it is she looks sort of, there's a lot of almost fear in there, like and almost pleading, like, please ring the bells. You know, she doesn't want to have to go further. Yeah. And then when, when when it does ring, I think it's two things. A, it the feeling she's getting is isn't what she would have expected it's not enough and largely because i think it's anger because of like how dare you make me feel this way you know i've oh. felt i've i've come to liberate this whole kingdom and i've sort of i've won and i'm sitting here Waiting desperately you hoping to, yeah. you accept me and actually how dare you make me need to do that and feel afraid that you won't you've you've done nothing to to make me want to to sort of want to show mercy and i think i just thought i just thought the the fact that she feels like for all her power and for all what she's done in the last sort of moments of this battle she is the supplicant to just saying please accept me and when they do she thinks you know what you don't deserve to make that decision and then that's why she sort of she snaps and she and that's that crazy part of her brain which says no you don't deserve this and that sends her over the edge do you know what matt i think you're right i think that is an excellent read i think that is really powerful that is a lot to put on a single face i think the shot of the red keep was still a unnecessary red herring actually yeah yeah that's in terms of setting our expectations in a different direction because um, you're about to spend 40 minutes subverting that in very, very graphic ways. Um, and it's a lot to put on her face, but then I'm not sure how she could have externalised it. Um, hmm. And I think Amelia Clark did act it very, very well. Um, so, yeah, I actually think that moment being, because her whole life has been about being at the mercy of other people or exercising power in order to prevent that from happening she actually Mm. kind of only knows about mercy as a principle as something she'd like to have shown to her and so in that moment while she's waiting for the bells to ring there's a kind of there's a huge cognitive dissonance where she's like this i'm waiting for mercy to be shown to i'm waiting and what i'm doing when i'm waiting is because somebody more powerful than me gets to say what happens next and Mm fuck it, I'm standing on top of a dragon. This is how I, you know, like, I'm not waiting for anybody. I'm not at somebody else's mercy. They're at mine. And then all of that, all of the abuse, all of the violence, all of the horror of her experience adds up to, well, this is what you get. This is Mm. what happens next. Like, she just discovers that actually in the pinch, she doesn't have, when she's definitely one and there's definitely nobody opposing him, when there's no greater tyrant in the room, she doesn't have a way of being other than tyranny. She doesn't have anything else she can do other than to be a tyrant. 
And I think that's the, yeah, I think you're right. This moment of character where she has to face this sort of void within herself where she's like, right, I don't, I actually don't have anything here. I don't know what to do here. Like, I'm not fighting the faceless men. I'm not fight fighting the masters. I'm not, I'm not fighting the, what was it? The, the, the house of jealous lovers, the, whatever it is, the <laughs> house of a thousand swords in, in, um, uh, Karth, if I'm right. Um, Oh yeah, Undying. Yeah. The house, yeah, yeah, house of the Undying. Um, <laughs> it's jealous lovers. Sorry, I, can't, I literally can't hear that without thinking of that song. Um, uh, and like, she, there's no other big bad for her to fight, and there's not even the threat of war in the north for her to mm. fight because because the Night's King is dead, the big bad has gone away, and then there's just this massive vacuum into which is sucked into which she is sucked because it grabs onto her using all of that, all of the horror of her past experience. And she just mm. goes, actually, when there's no tyrant, my whole life has been focused on the idea of maintaining the tyranny. So here's how it's going to go. Mm. And, and it's, again, it's, it's such a brutal, brutal indictment of the fact that the problem with the Game of Thrones is the game and the throne. Mm. And and when yeah. faced with when faced with when faced with a space in which she could do something other than perpetuate the Game of Thrones, she has nothing to place in that spot because she's received mm. nothing that she can place into that spot instead of it. And and that's and that vacuity is what kills all these people in this city. That and a dragon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we see the um, we see the dragon shadow over the city as um, which is a uh, obviously the exact same shot of one of the visions that she had in that House of Jealous Lovers. Oh yeah. Um, well, I mean, and this may now be the moment where we're going to talk about Quaith and whether any of those dream sequences were in the slightest oh, bit do worthwhile. We have to? No, I don't think we do. I think we should talk about what happens next. But I just feel like I, I had a couple of conversations this <laughs> don't week with people. Talk about it. Yeah, exactly. People this week were talking like I was talking to them and they were like, "Yeah, but the visions." And I was like. <laughs> I was so angry about those visions, I can barely remember them. They were so alienating <laughs> as a storytelling device. I don't give two shits what they were supposed to be telling me. Foreshadowing my ass, And, and, and I, I, I surprised some people with the strength of my feeling about Quaith. So where everybody else in this episode was angry with Daenerys, I was still angry with Quaith. That's what I found out. Yeah. Well, the thing is, it's because people who only watched the series only saw one scene with Quaith. Whereas we had to sit through oh, about fucking... forty pages in the books, they were, and it was, it was just bloody endless, intolerable. Wasn't it? And when she showed up in the series, I thought, "Oh no!" <gasps> so I was, I was Must delighted we? she disappeared. <laughs> yeah. yeah, true. true. <laughs> anyway, sorry, never to return again, yeah. unless she shows up at the end. I was going to say, be, if she turns up at the end, goodness, I, there will be trouble. <laughs> Yeah, I'll be rioting then. Um, <laughs> I'll be signing a, my own flipping petition. <laughs> petition. Matt, I'll tell you. Get that <laughs> set up on change.org. Remove Quaith from all scenes. <laughs> Both scenes. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah. So the obviously the, this is where the, the massacre begins in, in King's Landing, yeah. and Grey Worm takes this as a as a moment to yeah. sort of a nod for him to continue the attack. So he kicks off the massacre of the Lannister army as well, yeah. which I, I thought this was very realistic, that he makes the first move, the Northerners for the most part charge in and start yeah, they're just start keen. massacring troops, yeah. and John just sort of it, can't stop it. Yeah. It's just, just it's, it's the, the whole thing. And I, I really got a sense here as well of the Northerners are more than ready to do this. Yeah. This is sort of the North remembers. This is their revenge. 
yeah. all the stuff that they've been through. Yeah, um, they're well up for a they're well up for a bit of senseless war crime. Exactly, it's it's, it's, it's sort of and yeah. again it shows you that yeah we're kind of watching our the the the, the sort of the team we care about become the bad guys here or, become the or ones display committing the, the fact that they've always been that like that well the, yeah you know you yeah. Fi- yeah I mean you know the the simplest form of the joke is the Austin Powers gag you know nobody ever thinks about the families of the henchmen. But yeah. actually, that principle holds true. If you if you filmed some of the stuff that the armies of the North have done from a different perspective, of course, the, of course, people have been horribly treated by armies of the North. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, un, uh, you know, in pursuit of plot ends that we were all absolutely pulling for, and, and of course, that's the point. And I did like the this the sight of Jon Snow unable to hold back an army. You know, even though mm. he's the leader, even though he's, you know, maxi- ultimo maximo leader, you know, like this guy who's done all yeah. of these incredible things. Um, just as when the two armies meet and nobody wants to throw the first punch, there's not really very many leaders that could get them across that line if they all chose to walk away. Mm. After they've chosen to cross the line, there's no leader that can hold them back. And again, yeah. it's the, so it's the presence of that coin that the gods flip in a Targaryen, actually in all of us in society yeah. in 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 that confrontation is the same which way is yeah. that coin going to land and it sort of the the show sh- the show sort of um portrays and gives you this like really just makes it clear and puts on screen what happens when a city's sacked as well that yeah. it starts with the soldiers getting massacred and it spreads to the civilians getting massacred and yeah. people just just lose their heads yeah. And the, um, the, I think it's it summed up really well when John um, actually steps in to stop this rape from happening. Yeah. And um, and he sort of stops this guy, and he looks at him. And this guy, I think he looks like a knight of the Vale. He's certainly one of John's guys. Yeah. And he recognizes John, and he doesn't in that moment. He doesn't care, and he goes for him, and that's why John kills him. Yeah. And it's it's like even even yeah. when presented with you know his king, his leader. Yeah, he still doesn't care about anything other than just do you know, his bloods up, and he's gonna just just Act it's just taken over. There's, there's no yeah. thought there anymore. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and and it's a very important. Obviously, it's very important that that is a, a soldier of the North. I also think, and I don't want to give Game of Thrones too much credit here, because as I say, they have had their cake and fucking eaten it in terms of sexual violence, sex and violence, and sexual violence in the past. Yeah, but um, it also feels important to me that this isn't part of how they say this is horrifying you Mm. know what I mean that they like that they tell this story in such a way that it's enough to present you with the possibility of it happening to make you feel the horror we don't need to go all the way through it whereas in seasons one to four they would have gone all the way through it with extra lingering shots you know what Mm. I mean and that's always been a problem with Game of Thrones and I think it's no, a sign of mature storytelling perhaps that they've stepped past it at this point that we've had less exposition that we've had less less um, violence like this the point of which is to just be shocking um, mm. uh, or they're allowing the shock they've already built up to do the work that it's there to do because this, this episode does not lack for shock right mm. yeah um, we then move to Jamie's um, gone back out and sort of is going round sort of through the, the sort of hidden beach area to get up into the Red Keep. This is the moment where I thought he's kind of... I believe that this character would do it, yeah. or, but it's frustrating to see that he did, in that his first instinct 
was to just try and walk through the front door of King's Landing. <laughs> yeah, and it's again. like you, you've got you've got a secret route into the castle, which if you'd have taken, you'd have got there a hell of a lot earlier, and maybe things would have gone different. Yeah. But he just. Jamie doesn't really think things through, does he? <laughs> no, and he yeah, sort of again, basically yeah. walks straight into the city. Yeah. And it's only when he's realised he can't get through that he takes the, the, the more sort of the cleverer routes, but yeah. it's, it's too late. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and yeah, it's very consistent to his character. I do have questions about how much swimming I would do with one arm made out of gold. I feel like that would not probably be a survival strategy on my part, but <laughs> but whatever. Um, I do think that the fact that Euron emerges <laughs> see here there's the, Euron the, I, I will, what that I, is yeah. a mermaid new theory yeah <laughs> what, yeah what I will say is all I'll say about this is there's an awful lot of coastline there and an awful lot of time as when he could have shown up for this to happen in the <laughs> way it did. happened perfectly. <laughs> yeah, I was not invested in this scene at all. This started happening and I was like, are we really? Euron? Fine. Yeah, it's funny. A lot of people, um, a, a lot of really like mega fans of the show, have never liked Euron because he's he's such a different character than than he is in the book. But yeah. I always really enjoyed watching him on screen. So yeah. I quite I quite enjoyed that he got a good sort of like dark send off. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is a brutal fight with Jamie. You obviously want Jamie to win. Well, yeah. I did anyway. Yeah. But. Um, yeah, uh, it ends with Jamie mortally wounded, but he but he kills Euron, and as as Jamie walks away and Euron's dying, he shouts, uh, "I got you though! I I killed Jamie Lannister!" Yeah, and I just thought it was it was a nice little bookend to this to this yeah. character that to this sort of thrill seeker. Yeah, is that that is that is all Euron's ever lived for. It seems is just to do crazy stuff. He doesn't really care yeah. when he dies or yeah. if he dies. But it, he just wants to do some crazy stuff. Well, <laughs> he, he succeeds. Yeah, <laughs> he does. He, yeah. Very much. Yeah, no, that that is that is actually very very true. Um, mm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was still very much in this scene. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. I get it. Yeah, they've got to fight. Yeah, carry on. Um, mm. Yeah. So I was I was just sort of happy when it was over. To be honest. Yeah, it's one of those ones where, as well, Jamie's injuries are probably a bit too grievous for him to make it all the way I did think that the like the moment he gets a knife to the side I was like fucking hell that's him done then he's done yeah, yeah. Um, no 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 there are many steps let him climb them I by the way yeah. I've been to a few old castles I've climbed a few preposterous flights of stairs like that <laughs> I think if you stab me in the side first I probably wouldn't bother you know <laughs> but then again you know my beloved is not at the other end of the staircase so <laughs> yeah um, we see Cersei Start like actually in tears now as she realizes it really is over. Yeah. Um. And Kyburn saying that we've got to fall back to the to Mega's holdfast now, which is the last little part of the Red Keep. That's that that's defensible. Yeah. Um. And as she leaves, you see caches of wildfire going off in the city as well. I, I quite like that as well. Like like because she's which presumably been placed there by her using Kyburn as her weapons manufacturer. You know, like, mm. like you know, she's got these stashes all over the city because it, it's such a powerful thing that she's used before, and so the sight of her deviousness exploding, just casually in the background, just incidentally, was quite powerful. Mm. I um, I had a different read on that. I think mm. that's 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 a, either of these could be true, and mm. either of them I think are good, interesting ways to look at it. I thought they were, the remnants of what the, the Mad King had left. 
because no oh. one ever like they buried them all over the city and no one had found a lot of them. Right. And this was I thought I thought that married up quite nicely in that Daenerys uh, no, is basically I, yeah. finishing finishing her dad's work. Yes, I, I mean, um, I, and I think that's that's true and that's much better actually. This idea of we don't need wildfire, we actually have a dragon now. Hmm. But uh, yeah, either way, I like that. But um, there's a few. I saw a few criticisms of that saying, "Oh, it's just." Just for the sake of some extra special effects, but I didn't. I thought I thought it had like uh, interesting things to say. Yeah, no depth in the world. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. Um, we get to the Hound and I are heading through the big sort of map room. Yeah. Um, so they're very close to Cersei now. Yeah. And they have this exchange where basically the Hound manages to he he sees that you know the last chance to get out of the Red Keep is now. Everyone yeah. in here is going to die now unless you leave. As soon as, like, unless you leave now, you're going to die. Yeah. And he manages to convince Aya to leave. It's a big, it's a big about turn for Aya. Yeah. Um, and it just about tracked for me because of her relationship with the Hound. Yeah. And the way that he explains to her what it is, you know, what it's like to, to live your life just for revenge. Yes, I agree. I thought... As you know, I've not been a fan of the Arya Stark storyline, um, mm. but um, this for me was like a like sort of like a you know if you make a like a conical tent like a teepee with with like planks of wood sort of leaning on each other to meet a point. If you yeah. took any one of those planks away, the whole thing would fall down. They're technically mm. quite precarious, but they do hold up, and you can live underneath them. And that's mm. sort of very much how I felt about um, about the different elements of this story that add up to this point. Nobody else in the story could tell Arya Stark not to be vengeful and have her listen. And mm. precisely because he's such a shit, the Hound, like, and it <laughs> pains to be such a shit, when he says something sincere, you're like, I had probably better listen to this. Um, mm. And uh, and he wouldn't try with anybody other than Arya. Yeah. And and so like those two things holding together and the fact that he does care about her and the fact that she does care about him and the fact that they have this relationship where they'll basically never say it until right at the end um, means that everything is in the right place for this to come off. And so I actually, because it held together, I thought it was incredibly powerful. Like for the Hound mm. to have the degree of... Because he's so driven by his own fears and he's so driven by his own brokenness and he's so intent on sharing that out to everybody around him. First of all, for him to choose to have somebody close to him and to act in their best interests, rather than saying, fuck you, I act only for myself, um, is an incredible character moment for him. But it's also that he manages to have this clarity about all of this horrible shit that's driven him to this point, and he stands there mm. with these horrifying scars, you know, you know, two steps away from the battle that's, gonna, that's defined his entire life saying it could have been a different way i wish it had been a different way it should have been a different way um mm. and and then he sees in aria somebody who he actually respects enough to say it can be a different way for you and like and mm. that like the intensity of that moment of like look this is what revenge does you can be driven by revenge if you want but it will kill you it will eat you alive and it's again yeah. a really important scene that undermines the apparently quite vicious story world of Game of Thrones where it's like, fuck it, even in a world where everything does go wrong, even in a world where everything is subject to the, the greatest imaginable venality, i.e. even in our world, 
Some things hold true, and one of them is that seeking vengeance as the meaning of your life is a great way of losing your life before you die. And mm. and it's that's so thematically powerful. Again, something that's been carried through the entire series is vengeance visited upon vengeance. The whole reason, the whole driver of the story is that Catelyn Stark wants to wants to take it out on a Lannister for the fact that mm. Bran was nearly killed. Um, like all of that adds up to this incredibly powerful moment here with two characters who previously I haven't really been that bothered about. And it's much better than doing the thing with Arya where where if she just does Night's King 2 electric boogaloo and waltzes into the throne room and stabs Cersei in the kidneys. That would be shit yeah. because we've seen it done before. So, yeah. so Arya's default setting of violence will solve this problem and make everything all right was absolutely appropriate for the Night's King who was a secondary antagonist precisely because he was so clearly an antagonist and mm. uh, in this story universe so we had to get dealt with first we had to have the big shrug moment that we all had where at the end of that episode to be like okay great like am I supposed to care more about Cersei now than I did about the Night's King because he's badass and of course we weren't like the whole point is to say right you care about big bads right there's the big bad he's done big dramatic scene bosh that's what Arya's approach is good for faced with the complexity of the queen burning King's Landing faced with the complexity of her friend basically acknowledging that he's already dead and all he needs to do now is go and die and follow through on it like hmm she has this whole other moral journey to go on and it's fascinating and it's such a smart mm. thing to tell a story that is different all different all the way through than how it ends but is then different mm. because of how it ends and is transformed by its ending mm. which we don't have for Arya yet I think this is going to be a really important thing for whatever she does on that horse next week um, yeah 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 um, we cut to the cave in um, as sort of the heading down the stairs uh, Cersei and her sort of Kingsguard and um, the, the the roof starts to cave in, takes out most of her guards, but yeah. the, the sort of the mountain shields her. And it, it, this is really useful because it just gives us a reminder just to how like powerful yeah. this, this Super monster is. So. Yeah, yeah. yeah. B- b- before we see obviously the the fight that's about to start. Yeah, um, I like the way that the hound sort of appears. Yeah, and then he just sort of goes. Grace, <laughs> it's quite <laughs> very sardonic. Yeah, he's he's a knight of the seven kingdoms in his last moment. That's how you address the monarch, even if you're about yeah. to fuck shit up. <laughs> yeah, I thought I did think it was a bit sort of um, sort of cliched how there were like there were four surviving goons who just sort of <laughs> run at just him take and die. Out. <laughs> I quite yeah. liked that because we need a reminder. Having seen the hound be cowardly in two episodes ago, we need a reminder that the hound is actually very much to be feared. Yeah. yeah. So we have the remember, Sir Gregor is a badass because he can prevent his queen from being killed only with his body, even when falling stone is happening. And yeah. remember, the hound is a badass because here are these four four knights of the Queen's Guard who he can take out without really thinking about it very much. Yeah. Yeah. Now we have the um, the moment where the, the sort of the, we, we we see the the mountain side of this as well. How yeah. as much as the hound hates Sir Gregor, Sir Gregor yeah. hates the hound as well. And that's and never been made clear what why was... that is in the series, has it? And I suppose that's that's kind of we have to accept that as a mystery rather than treat it as a plot hole. Yeah, 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 and. Um, 
just sort of even whatever sort of line the back of his sort of whatever remains of a brain in this monster yeah um the overriding sort of it's overriding uh want and directive even even more so than always do what you're told yeah. is you know kill Kill Sandor Crane. <laughs> yeah, like, and again, I think we just have to like. Okay, I guess that's that's the way it goes. Awkward family mm. Christmases. Yeah. So we um move into the actual the actual fight. It's on the um what people Ooh, have called yeah. Clegane Bowl, isn't it? Clegane Bowl. There is the, it is. The sort of the, the the shorthand. This has been something that a lot of like super fans and book readers have been keen on seeing for a yeah. long time. Yeah. So yeah. I think and a lot of people would at least be pleased that this happened. This happened. And um, I and I think it had to happen, otherwise what's the point of having this massive enmity between these two characters? And I thought yeah. it was I thought it was done really, really well. I thought it was shot beautifully. I thought it looked great. I like uh, in this bit how just Cersei just walks past him as well. Um because it, all he is is just consumed by revenge. And it's revenge just yeah. for its own sake. It's not sort of to accomplish a wider goal or anything, and I yeah. think that that's one of the things that worked about it, and something that annoyed yeah. some of the people who, who saw it was it didn't. In the end, this big sort of title fight didn't really mean anything, but I think that's kind of the point, and that was yeah. the sort of point that the Hound made as well. That it's just a pointless life, just living for revenge. Exactly that, and and if it had been anything else, if they'd have tried to sort of freight it with more kind of plot significance somehow it wouldn't have done what it needs to do which is it is something that's been carried all the way through and again you know i see it as a as a, a deliberate counterpoint to like whether you're doing this sort of futile violence at the grand or the petty levels you know whether you're raising a city or attacking your younger brother you know your older brother sorry is it's just so what like it happens and you've done nothing to change the rules of what's going on around you and nothing to change the likelihood of it happening again hmm. and and it's very it there's a, there was a bleakness to it which was totally appropriate i thought it felt really again like it felt apocalyptic the way it was lit particularly i thought was fucking brilliant yeah. like i just i really this sequence in particular every bad thing i said about the battle of winterfell which it deserved i want to turn into good things to say about this because this sequence just looked brilliant like what you're able to do with the fact that you've basically got a portable incendiary device flying around and what you do with lighting when it's also there's clouds of smoke across the sun so sometimes the sun is in sometimes it's brilliant um like it just it just looked beautiful as Mm. well um and yeah i have to say i was quite quite surprised that the mountain still had a skull because I thought the thing was he never takes his helmet off. So I thought he was going to take the helmet off and it would just be like open brain on the back of his head. <laughs> um, I thought that was sort of the point almost in that like resurrecting him, he had to like keep his brains inside his helmet. But, but apparently <laughs> I have a more macabre visual imagination than D.B. Weiss and David Benioff. And I think that should drive me to introspection. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think he's taken his helmet off once before, which was when um, that scepter... When Cersei got her hands on that scepter, he kept going shame, shame, shame. And, uh, yeah, locked her in that room, and she sent him in, and he took his helmet off. Then, but you never really saw oh. much of his face. It was sort of, it was half in half in darkness and half in light. Probably another one of those ones, yeah. Dave, where you just saw a blank screen because <laughs> it was low lit. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> no, I do remember that shot and remember things. And I just sort of remember thinking that they've purposefully not shown what it's like inside the helmet mm. in order to increase the horror of it, you know, the yeah. horror of the unseen. So I just thought it would be more sort of disgusting when it actually went and happened. But no, yeah. apparently not. They decided to stay, stay high. I like the bit where the helmet comes off in this and uh, Sander just looks up and is like, yeah, that, that's what you've always been. Um, as in just a, a monster. Um, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The, the little little moments throughout this fight actually that are really are really great for that and really, I don't know, just just highlighted just just was perfect for his character. The bit where sort of he um, he sort of says that and the bit where he's he's stabbing him and he's just like he's just saying fucking die <laughs> and it's like <laughs> he sees it. it's yeah. it's, it's, it's it's tragic and also he he sees it. He sees the sort of dark humor in it as well, doesn't he? The hound. Like how yeah. ridiculous it is that this that this thing yeah. just won't die. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and still doesn't with a sort of with a knife through its eye. Yeah, like he kind of, and it is, and that's the difference between these characters, isn't it? Because you'll never see Gregor Clegane laugh even before he was a zombie. Yeah, like he's just so totally committed to complete brutality, and the Hound actually sort of sees the hu- the humor in it, and I think is therefore dramatically more human. Yeah. Um in 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 the thing. But yeah, it is it's classic zombie fiction and for saying that I'm tired of zombie fiction, I thought it was really good. Mm. Just fucking die. <laughs> like, you know, there is comedy in that and it worked. Yeah. And I thought it uses zombie fiction quite well. Um yeah. because there's that that bit where as you say where he does stab him through the head and that's the moment with yeah. every, that's the moment with almost every zombie film where that that kills a monster, doesn't it? It's headshot. Yeah. But it, it doesn't yeah. in this one. And uh, yeah, I, I exactly. thought a couple of th- there was a couple of moments where I genuinely thought he's going to get you know, the hound's going to get killed. Um, the mm. first one actually was when he stabs him through the the belly. Um, he's, the mountain gets stabbed like run through effectively, and yeah. um, it goes further and further in. And it just reminded yeah. me of that bit in the Fist of the First Men in the book where one yeah. of the soldiers stabs a white and the white yeah. sort of moves up the spear and twists the guy's head off. I was like, oh crap, that's going to yeah. happen here. It's going to be a callback to the books, but um, yeah. it didn't. Yeah. Um, and no, then, it didn't. Yeah. No, the, yeah, the point was you just can't take him out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then the bit where it looked like he was going to get sort of get Oberyn Martelled as well, where they, the, the, yeah. the men, men squeeze his head. And I think it, it tells you something, doesn't it, about how horrible a moment is that everybody watching it remembers just that moment just by itself. Yeah. And they even played it so far as to have the blood starting to come out of his eyes. Yeah. And it was just, oh, oh, horrible. But then but then the turnaround, and it just, I thought it was perfectly paced. I thought it yeah. worked really, really well. Yeah. And um, and then the the sort of the end as well. We just sort of just tackles him through this wall, and they fall out of the keep yeah. into into the fire, which is very obviously really thematic as well. Um, yeah, after yeah, yeah, yeah. this whole experience with it, the, with- the something that crossed my mind is I've been listening to another podcast called Make Westeros Great Again, and it's uh, <laughs> it, it's it's done in the style of sort of it's. Uh, it's a podcast about obviously Game of Thrones, but it's done in the style of two sports fans. So they're, <laughs> they're always... <laughs> he will not like that, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> so they're always doing things like yeah, the odds and stuff, and I think they've got the Rookie of the Year every year and MVP and all this. <laughs> but um, one yeah. of the things where they were talking the odds last time, and there are odds on who dies first, the Hound or the Mountain, 
And <laughs> on like the third or fourth, the third watch, I was thinking, who does die first here? Who does watch die like... first? That one, yeah, yeah. Like who lands first? I suppose is the question. Yeah, I think it'd be no payout. Um, I think it's just yeah. Just that's a... definitely one where the bookies yeah. are like, all bets are off. Yeah, um, yeah. So we go on to uh, Cersei. We sort of go back to her. Then she's in the yeah. little map room, and yeah. uh, Jamie arrives. And I found this surprisingly moving, considering how much we've been made to hate Cersei. Just the fact she looks so sort of small when she's standing there. Then she sees Jamie and they um, sort of embrace. And then she realizes he's really hurt. And that's a, like, you can see (laughs) there's a lot of hard truths coming home to Cersei here. Because she never thought she'd (laughs) ever lose. And she never thought she'd ever see Jamie this sort of vulnerable as well. And it felt like a moment where you kind of, at their worst, again, at their very worst moment, you saw like the the best of them came through again, or just a little flicker of them, because there was a real sense of humanity between them. Yeah, well, I think, I'm really glad that that's the experience you had, because I think that's the experience I was supposed to have, and I wasn't feeling it. You just thought, because screw it, screw, screw her. <laughs> no, well, I mean, certainly, to a certain extent, yeah. But no, also just like, I never think Cersei is being sincere. Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen Cersei being sincere before. And so I'm always kind of assuming that she is playing an angle somehow. And so mm. that just means that I don't, I don't consider emotions shown on Cersei's face to be worth thinking about because they are not truthful. And that means that when she's when she's showing concern for Jamie, most of my head, given what this character has been like to this point, is just like, how are you going to manipulate him next? Mm. And never mind that that's preposterous. I can't think of any way of doing it. I am not the most devious character in a book series full of devious characters. So I just sort of assume she's going to try and find some angle to play and mm. certainly not ever pity her. Um, so, yeah, I wasn't really... even with Even with the ending that they get, Again, because I I still don't believe Jamie's character arc in mm. the in the TV series comes close to justifying why he gets on a horse at the end and rides down to King's Landing. What the fuck? So this whole sequence is like I'm supposed to be caring about these two people in terms that for one for very good plot reasons and one for very bad plot reasons, neither of which I believe. Mm. Um, uh, which is just so I was a little bit dumped out of this, but it still had that great, fantastic kind of yeah, again apocalyptic end of days type feeling to it. Mm. I even love. I'll even let them get away with doing a doing an Indiana Jones with the <laughs> massive crack that runs across the map of Westeros in the floor of the, yeah. the floor of that room um, at the start of the sequence. Which, if I was reading correctly, was a split between the north and the south. So I'm sure there are already mm. nine thousand blog posts like doing that as a uh, as a, a foreshadowing. Yeah, what happens next week? But um, yeah, no, I, I kind of I wasn't there. Um, in between the mountain and and this, there's a load of Arya sort of making her escape and running through yeah. the sort of uh, the the horror of the aftermath of, of what's going on. Um, yeah, and she sort of this is brilliant because you see sort of a on the ground we get one of our characters to actually just see grittily what it's like on the ground for civilians because she's effectively a civilian now Um, there's no sort of sense of her being a combatant anymore Um, it was a bit I did think it was a little bit schlocky how she just 
she she it was a bit like she just kept surviving she kept surviving yeah and, and yeah. loads of things that every so often it had cut as some an explosion went off next to her or a burst of fire yeah. went off and looked like it killed her and then yeah. she kept waking up and she's all right and that was like i can see why they did it and you kind of get away with it because of like general language of cinema kind of thing but yeah. it just it didn't feel very true to the series that although it has happened before with some characters but the series yeah. has always been about if if you sort of suffer a mortal injury you die or if you're in an impossible yeah. situation then that's it you're gonna die you're gonna die interesting i didn't feel that way about this at all um for for a couple of reasons first of all this is Arya, right? She's a faceless man. Like she's her whole thing is getting in and out of extremely complicated situations yeah. safely. So I found I found it really interesting as a sort of rhyme with the fact that we didn't see where the hell she was between between the the zombies in the library and mm. taking out the Night's King in episode three. Oh right, um, yeah. This is this is what it looks like when she's getting through a really difficult situation and staying alive. Yeah. yeah. Um and so, so anybody other than Arya, I would have been like, no, mate, this is a fucking city that's literally collapsing on top of her. Of course she's not going to survive. Yeah. But because of what they've done with Arya, I felt like it was sort of, it was justified in the plot beats and plot points that had kind of happened with her up to yeah. this point. Um, I also think it is kind of, it is true that when devastation like this happens to cities, and it does... Um, uh, people do survive it. Yeah. Like I was, I was, I was, uh, I visited um, Hiroshima in Japan a few years ago. And one of the things that you can do there is listen to a talk being given by, now it's the children of people who survived the bomb. But so I had a conversation with a woman whose mother had been below ground zero and mm. just hadn't been, and just hadn't been killed by it and was horribly maimed and it was a really horrific experience and, and, and all the rest of it. But people do survive this kind of thing. And so yeah. I actually, I found that quite, quite telling because it would be a bit too video game to just be like, and then everybody died and it was horrific, but you mm. don't have to think about the individuals. The fact that some people are going to survive is, is one of the most horrifying things about things like this. Cause some, some people do and most people don't. And the people who do spend the rest of their lives wondering why the hell they got to. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I suppose I suppose with a with that, if you to survive a series of really close calls, I mean, it might be sort of a yeah. one in a million chance. But if if a million people are getting killed, then, then one person's one gonna, of them will exactly. do, someone will yeah. survive. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I take your point absolutely in terms of the the narrative. Anybody else in any other series, I would have been like, this is cheap. Hmm. But in this, it felt like they earned it. Yeah. to a certain extent particularly I have to say even the shot where the bell tower with the bell that was ringing collapses on top of her oh, yeah. like I just some some of these shots are unbelievable that long tracking shot as well with um, where you see her this might be a little bit later but where you see her re-encounter the woman that she met earlier on yeah the, uh, the one episode only red shirt character yeah um uh, where it's all shot so you can see the dragon in the far distance in the sky yeah. wheeling back around to take a shot, but you've got uh, like 30 seconds to notice that this is going to happen and start running away, and you just see the tracking shot of the dragon coming all the way in and doing that damage. Mm. That is as good as any shot in the entire series. I thought that was masterpiece level stuff. 
Yeah, and real sort of, it's really sad as well how it, that ends yeah. up killing this this woman and her daughter as well because her daughter won't leave her. Yeah. And Arya yeah. almost pulls her away and then her daughter runs back and that's sort of, yeah. that's what kills and, her. And, and Arya knows the moment to leave her, the last moment she's got, which is such a faceless man thing to know when death is coming yeah. and know when you can't get out of the way. Yeah, 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 that's true. Um, okay, so there's that. The There's also, at this same time, roughly... John is ordering a retreat for his men, just pulling them back out of the city. Um, yeah. Don't know how many of them he takes with him, but he takes as many as he can. Um, yeah. Because I think, I think you're supposed to get a sense here of the battle beginning to wind down, so he's beginning to get a bit more control over it again. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's interesting that that's what constitutes command, isn't it? Like, like you tell the chaos when to start... And you, 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 you're the voice that speaks at the moment after the chaos has finished. While well, the chaos is going on, just let it happen. Yeah, um, yeah. That's the control he has over it. Yeah, I've seen, I've seen um, writing on sort of ancient and medieval battles saying, oh yeah, th- saying that a lot of the writing about it is, you know, to say, oh then, then this, this flank did this, and then when you get too far into it, actually, what really probably happened was they had a plan. It was they followed a few steps of until it all kicked off. Then it was just chaos, yeah. and then, then chaos, and then so. people sort of yeah, yeah. Then people look back and sort of rationalise what happened. It was like yeah, 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 the, yeah. The, the left flank was deployed. I mean, it 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 set off. I wouldn't say it was deployed. <laughs> yeah, to, to to say that it was deployed would be to say that there was somebody there whose voice could be heard. Yeah, who was thinking clearly enough to make plans with it. Just somebody went ah. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Yeah, it was deployed in the same way that Dothraki were deployed in the uh, in episode three. <laughs> they just went for it. They just went. <laughs> yeah, um, I think that's a really excellent point. This sort of chaos is the point of this scene. And I thought, I I, I have to say, like, like war is a, a an, is a massive part of the way the world works these days. Kind of always has been, but now we have conflicts that have been going on for multiple decades and, and may never stop. And um, I really appreciated that a TV series with this sort of budget has put this sort of time into showing you at this length what a battle is like without there being a narrative beat that you're waiting for at the end of it, right? Mm Because the Battle of Winterfell is about when are we going to kill this big bad? Mm. And that's what it's about. And the whole point of this episode, like I said, for me, is that that big bad expectation has been completely undermined and and turned over and like great you want the big bad there is a big bad but the mm. problem is not as easy to solve as killing one big bad and it's just this spectacular red red herring and in fact you know the night's king was ice and daenerys is fire and they are both as much a problem as each other it's just that mm. fire speaks your language mm. um and like that as a that as a theme emerging from this episode is flipping brilliant, and so I, 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 I what that meant for this episode was the fact that they had they spent forty minutes on a scene of complete chaos and devastation in a city, and you know must have been tens of millions of dollars making it happen hmm. in order to present a war, just in order to show you the war rather than in order to say and it was all worth it because we got here or it was all worth it because we took that redoubt or it was all worth it because we killed the night king you know. It wasn't worth it. It's that's just what war looks like, and um, and I don't think very much fiction, even war fiction, kind of has the 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 guts, the clarity to actually just say, right, this is what war looks like. Mm. Um, you know, even famous films which are about war as hell, like Apocalypse Now, 
you know, they kind of steer away from this and go into figurative nightmarish stuff rather mm. than saying, no, this is this is just what it looks like. This is if you'd have been there on the day, this is what it looked like. Mm. Um, and I, so I thought it was brilliant. It was exactly what the TV series needed as a sort of full stop, semicolon before the last bit of the sentence, whatever you want to call it, but this as mm. being what the series is built to was fucking bleak but fucking genius. Yeah. And speaking of the last, uh, last big bad... Cersei and Jamie end up in the uh, sort of in the basement with the dragon skulls, trying to find the way out. There's yeah. the the passages have all been blocked by fallen rubble already, and there's um of this moment where Cersei sort of realizes that this is it, and she's she's sort of she's left sort of pleading with Jamie, saying, "Don't let me die, and I want my baby to live," and then um yeah. and then all the as Jamie holds her and says, "Just you know, nothing else matters but us." The um yeah. the whole of the the foundations falling, and that's yeah. that's I mean it's a way that a lot of people were disappointed that that Cersei didn't I think didn't die more horribly but this seemed pretty <laughs> horrible to me. Yeah, like being crushed underneath the keep that you spent your entire life trying to gain control of, within which you've been responsible for horrifying acts of betrayal, like that feels pretty obvious to me. Mm. <laughs> that that feels pretty good. Um. Again, like it was because Cersei has done so much manipulating the people around her by appealing to the well-being of her children, though, I still wasn't with her in this moment. I still kind mm. of didn't believe that she was being sincere. Um, and I'll be super interested to see if I ever watch this all the way through again, you know, when I have a spare fortnight. Um, I'll, um, I'll be interested to see whether, whether I feel like that arc, whether I feel it more for her at the end or if mm. I'm still in this place of like, nah, mate forget it yeah um even though it, like and so jamie saying what he said i think he said something exactly like that in like episode one didn't he yeah like yeah. When, just have push push bran out of the tower or whatever and was like nothing else matters yeah i think he said it a few times throughout when they've been sort of together that's his his whole thing yeah yeah and like i've never understood why that should be but at least it's a good callback mm. um but i as i say i still think the way they got in there to deliver the line was nonsense yeah, I thought. Yeah, the, the, I thought the reason he says that is sort of it's partly all about Cersei. And it's partly in response to what happened when he saved all those people and got sort of vilified for it. And I think since yeah. then he thought, well, okay, I'm just going to focus okay. on this one this person. The, yeah, this um, is the thing I like, and I'm pretty sure of the terms under which I will go on liking it. Yeah, obviously he's been yeah. on this, as you say, he's been on this sort of journey away from that, which has created. Um, created problems with him coming back to this i thought that the yeah. way he um the, the sort of expressions on his face and the way he he talked here and the way it all ends that did sort of sell it to me on just why he went back insofar as in the same way that you know that there are certain things about people there's i don't know i don't know a great deal about the theory but there's a theory about people in that you you have a core and you have a wider um, part of your personality and mm. after a certain amount of time you can still change the wider part of your personality but your core is set it's never changing and yeah. and you know that's it's one sort of way of looking at it and mm. i think that's very much sort of what jamie is here that the the, the the point is that cersei and his sort of obsession and, and love of her is is never going to change and even all these things that happened over the over the series where he's moved away 
it always came back to at his heart he wanted to go back to her um in yeah. the same in the same way that you know some people will return again and again to relationships that you know are wrong and are bad for mm. them because they often it's people who are very romantic isn't it and they feel that that's just yeah. who they are and i did i do get a sense for all this bravado and his um sort of his tough talk jamie he's a, he is a very sort of romantic character at heart and that is sort oh, of oh that's interesting that that's where he came around to in the end and you know the the i think the final point of it is as well he sort of he he died how he wanted he always said he wants to die in the arms of the woman he loved and it turns out yeah. that that was and always Cersei. Cersei despite yeah. everything that happened yeah yeah and i yeah i can i can see that that swing like i just yeah i i i didn't get that myself but i think that's that's certainly how he said he wanted to die and it certainly seemed to make sense I just, I suppose, part of me on this is just like, yeah, but it's Cersei. Why do you love Cersei? Yeah, yeah, I just <laughs> you know, don't like she's it. She's had yeah. no character development. Actually, <laughs> she's just had, or if she has, is increasing plumbing the depths of human depravity. Mm. Um, so, so you know, they've not moved symmetrically at all, and yet here they are ending up together. Just feels a bit odd to me. But mm. as you say, you know, if he is a romantic, if he's the sort of guy that believes in knights because he was one. You know, mm. and knights who save princesses, and there's only one princess he cares about saving. So yeah, yeah. I think that's one of the reasons he and Brienne was um, sort of had that connection is because they both sort of got that about oh, sort of knights. Solid. They were both yeah. quite you know romantic in that sense. Yeah, I think you. Yeah, no, you are absolutely right, uh, and hence actually that ties up with the scene with the knighting her before the yeah. Battle of Winterfell. Yeah, yeah. Um, final scene. Um, are you? Uh, wakes up again and she's still alive <laughs> and uh she she gets up she seems to be the only one still alive on this street uh, apart yeah. from um a horse a white horse which she hops on and rides out of the city there's been a lot of talk yeah. about the significance of this um and people have basically oh, been yeah. going back through the last seven seasons and every time they see a white horse putting it like a, a shot of that up saying it means this oh, it's like it could be oh, anything goodness. i mean if we're gonna do that there's no reason it can't be bran walking into a horse long distance oh you know, yeah yeah to get her out of the situation why not um why not otherwise what's brand what, what's brand for um yeah. <laughs> mvp that doesn't feature in the last bit of the plot um i thought the last shot was really good though it, i mean it was quite it's quite harrowing to see really because it was very like um uh like there was the the model of the of one of the burned people on the streets you could see the embers still sort of glowing kind of within the blackened husk that was once their flesh i thought that was bloody that was that was a very good way of making all of that city-sized horror land at the the level of the personal yeah um, yeah. And the individual, and that was that was pretty shocking. And the last, I thought the last shot was was great, um, but I don't think there's any significance in it other than oh look, there's a horse. <laughs> yeah. Oh look, there's a horse. So, sometimes, some to, to misquote Sigmund Freud, sometimes a horse is a horse. <laughs> um, lovely. Okay. Well, that is the the episode. Time to mm. go to feedback. I've got a couple of things to read out. Do you have anything to read Excellent. out for? No, no, I don't. Although I've had a number of conversations over the last week with people, friends, uh, who've been like, "What, what was that?" <laughs> I like, I, I do think you and I are quite, quite solid outliers in like the I kind of see how this ties together thematically. Yeah. Um, 
And one thing that I'm not sure whether I said this time or not, I can't remember, but um, I was, when when uh, when um, Daenerys started flaming the city, I was I was really angry. And, you know, my watching party was full of stuff being thrown at the TV, for sure. Yeah. Um, but it's a, it's a reflection. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, no! But that's what they wanted us to feel like. Like, you know, I, all of this stuff, the Battle of Winterfell, the weird middle chapter, and then this last one, they have all been of a piece. And the, the you know our reactions at each of the points between the episodes have been precisely what they were supposed to be because they're setting up this thematic thing mm. rather than this. Oh look! If only we kill this one dude, then everything will be all right. Because mm. you, never in human history has just killing the one dude made everything all right. And actually, that's the origin point of, of Song of Ice and Fire as well, isn't it? Oh, we yeah. got rid of the Mad King. It'll be fine. No, it won't. Mm. <laughs> Not while there's still a throne to fight over. Yeah, um, but yeah, so that's very much like the all, the only feedback I've got from the people around me has just been sort of fury about how this episode has gone off. <laughs> well, um, that is falls right in the wheelhouse of Kate from Sirencester, who's emailed in Hello. to say, "You both better give episode five a good roasting. How to un- <laughs> how to undo seven and a half seasons of good work in one fell swoop." Danny would never burn all those innocents. I would never wimp out of killing Cersei. Greyjoy would have nicked the rowing boats and sailed back to the Iron Islands. Tyrion would never sell out Varys. Cersei deserves an epic battle for all her villainary work to date. And what is the point of Jon Snow anymore? Years of character <laughs> development laid waste, much like the Red Keep. So, Ooh. safe to say, she did not enjoy this episode. <laughs> That's funny. And I think, actually, all of those arguments by themselves are solid i don't i only think it's the thematic thing that really redeems those things like if if we've been if that's what all of those characters have been for and been about then the fact that they're no longer about those things has to count as a failure Mm. my thing is i think they're not failures i think this is the plot as it was always supposed to be Mm. which means i was wrong (laughs) <laughs> basically to think to like those characters for those reasons mm. um, and I should be very interested to go back and watch again again as I say if I ever get the time to see whether whether it holds together now now that I have a sense of their whole arc because mm. you can only you know you promise like you said last time the ending of the series everybody has their own preferred ending of the series and you can only do one of them and yeah. actually the reason everybody has their preferred ending is because each character promises you know 95 different ways of, of getting out of a story yeah. and we all choose one of them and then the showmakers have to choose one for each of the characters that actually makes some sort of thematic sense yeah um i did like and so and it's absolutely right to say that in any other type of fiction cersei would have had a big epic battle scene at the end but the point of it isn't that an epic battle scene could fix anything you know yeah. it's just that she's she's you know she 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 reached her limit and she died as people yeah. do and um uh, um, what was the other one? I, I do agree, though. What is the point of Jon Snow anymore? Because because if the end of this series is Jon Snow ends up on the Iron Throne, I mm. will. That will be a cop out for me. Mm. That will be. I'm sure we'll talk later about our predictions. But, um, yeah. but yeah, like I think John. The point of Jon Snow has been to say that even if you're a good man, you can't win this game. Yeah, and you shouldn't. Yeah. Um, Emma message. She also was. Less than glowing about the episode, but maybe not so not so much of a smackdown as, <laughs> as, as Kate gave it. Um, just just watch the latest Game of Thrones. While in terms of drama, it was really good, the last two episodes seemed to be rushing the plot to a conclusion. If George yeah. doesn't produce the remaining books, 
before he meets the stranger, he might end up <laughs> <laughs> solid. That's great. Um, it might he might, might end up being one of the world's most unpopular authors as a result. Uh, um, hmm. He says, <laughs> "I I don't think so." <laughs> Either the TV characters are often the sum of several books and without the inner monologues and perspectives, the plots can feel a bit p- contrived. Um, mm. She mm. also says she's managed to get her other half to listen to a, sort of a lot of the back catalogue of the podcast. Um, oh, cracking. G- good luck with that. The um, he said, <laughs> She says... Um, good luck we, with that. We're great at self-promotion here, aren't we? You've been <laughs> listening to the podcast... Goodness me. <laughs> well, no, I, I mean good luck with that because of the next bit, because she says, um, we're going to start doing a shark liver oil drinking game. You drink when, one, Matt, Matt notices something that Dave doesn't. <laughs> two, 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 Instant blotto. <laughs> bloody hell. Have a drip on the go already. Two, bronze Yon Royce is mentioned. <laughs> I do love our, our sort of mad, like, kind of... Uh, Exasperated bromance with Bronze Yon Royce. Like, it's quite a lot of fun how, how fascinating this rather rubbish blowhard character in a breastplate is. <laughs> um, three, Drink If Arya going for her long walk in Westeros gets a mention. Fucking um, right. Yes. Yes. We can all get as poisoned as this story has been. Although now I can't be angry about that anymore, can I? This is the great, this is my equivalent of Daenerys turning into a mad psychopath in the second to last episode. (laughs) Is the fact that in the second to last episode, I'm like, actually, I think Arya's story arc has been appropriate to what has happened at the end of it and has (laughs) woven in nicely with the whole story universe. I'm not going back and editing them, (laughs) for sure. But I actually do think that I may have been wrong about that. I was wrong about that. I was wrong. And number four is drink if there's a surprise um, about a forgotten character still being alive. Um, <laughs> That's not follow. our fault, though. That's, <laughs> that one, you can place the receipt for those bills right at George Martin's door because that's very much his uh, his uh, M.O., isn't it? Like, <laughs> who haven't we seen for five books? Ah, Gendry. Uh. <laughs> um, one other thing here. Interesting fact about Emma. Um, Pod was my nickname when I was very little. Um, <laughs> That's brilliant. It was apparently because, like most toddlers, I waddled when walking, and my hair was like mm. a poodle. So poodle, <laughs> poodle and waddle equals poddle, which became pod. Sadly, I don't think my parents were any, in any way predicting the age of rule by King Podrick. Well, it's pod a shame. Pod the Iron Throne! Yeah. Unbelievable. We could actually have a pod on the Iron Throne. It's still on, isn't it? I, I'm, I'm, it's it's amazing on. that we've got to the final episode and that he's still yeah. in the mix. He's still alive. I'm so happy about that. <laughs> <laughs> I might go for Bronze Young Royce for the Iron Throne. Late, <laughs> late play. <laughs> Bronze Young. Do you know, Matt, I'd completely forgotten about that character. What an interesting return. It almost <laughs> reminds me of, uh, of uh, Arya Stark going for a walk in Westeros for some reason. <laughs> Drink! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so, okay, let's do a very quick... um, We've got our predicted deaths, which we'll return to at the end of the series. I think we'll save those to see just how how wrong we were. How wrong we were! (laughs) (laughs) But, um, but yeah, what do you think is going to happen next episode? Best, And this is, I will pains to say... Mm. No prior knowledge here, and we'll probably turn out to be completely wrong. But yeah, give me yeah, your, give it your should, best we'll, shot. We'll, we'll timestamp this. We are recording this on the Sunday of the uh, broadcast, but before it's broadcast. Yeah, right. Like like a few hours. It's at least sixteen twenty hours before it goes out. Um, 
like I say, if John ends up on the Iron Throne, that would feel like the kind of fan service that everybody's been angry we haven't got in the last three episodes and would therefore feel like a failure of the, the approach they've taken this episode. Because, again, because he would just maintain the system mm. um, and he would try and prove that a good king can do good in the system. And the whole point is that doesn't matter if you're good, if you're Ned Stark, if you're Jon Snow, you're going to get screwed. Mm. Um, so I don't think Jon Snow... I think... I think Tyrion. I think Tyrion mm. may end up certainly surviving. I'm not sure though that he would end up king. I I have a sense that there may be some sort of moment of clarity for Daenerys where she's like horrified at what she's done and commits suicide with the dragon somehow. I don't know how. And Ooh. um and uh and um uh Jon Snow horrified by what the throne can do. Uh, steps aside, and then we end up with Tyrion instituting some sort of democratic governance, um, which is which is very much, uh, you know, hello, I am a child of the late twentieth century and early twenty first century, and this is wish fulfillment on my part. But um, but I think that would be an interesting swing because, like I say, the whole problem has been that there is a game for the throne, and there won't, you know, like the the curveball would be to completely dismantle the basis on which that game occurs rather than just saying, oh, yeah, but then there's a new king, so it's fine. Because mm. the point that I've, to me, the whole point of these last few episodes has been it doesn't matter what king you get, you will end up with the coin falling on one side or the other. You will end up with fire and ice, and they will both kill you. Mm. And, um, yeah, so I reckon Tyrion, not on the Iron Throne, but melting down the Iron Throne, perhaps. Oh, oh, they've already set up he can deal with the dragon, so we don't need to kill the dragon. Daenerys dies. Tyrion's mates with the dragon, uses the dragon to uh, to melt the Iron Throne, and then, I don't know, the dragon goes into retirement. Petting zoo, something like that. <laughs> yeah, sounds good. <laughs> what do you reckon? Yeah, I like, um, yeah, the Daenerys suicide with, with dragon, um, because it is, I'm struggling to see how anyone does kill that dragon now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. After what happened this episode. Um, yeah. And yeah, Daenerys can't sort of... Uh, this is... I think this is quite clear from this episode. She is the one character sort of past redemption now with that. Yeah. I would have thought, but you never know. Um, John could well be... Yeah, he could end up on the Iron Throne. But I think you're right. It's, it would it would just mean a temporary like just a temporary solution insofar as it probably yeah. be, the, be a good a good few and years maybe that's but the, maybe only... that's the bleak ending maybe that is the bleak ending is that the best man available gets on the throne but we know it's all going to go to shit anyway yeah just for maybe as long that. as yeah as long as his descendants are decent and that won't last forever um yeah yeah i think yeah maybe john with maybe john with some like strong input from Tyrion with some sense that there might be some changes on the way um, yeah, I, if it's if it's John and Tyrion together, you might fight. And John never wanted it. Maybe he would be open to to sort of some different version of it. Um, if Tyrion's yeah. got the because Tyrion's because John's never wanted it, but he's also not really got the intellectual sort of audacity to think of anything else. Think whereas it, Tyrion yeah, no, exactly, does. Yeah. So, but he, he may yeah. he may listen to it. Um, how yeah. do I get Bronze Jon Royce on the Iron Throne? That's the question. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody else dies. They is take it? the wise woman from Black Out of the Second approach. <laughs> Kill everyone in the whole world, and then yeah. Bronze yours and Royce's. It's a tangled. It's a tangled way. Sleep. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it must yeah, be some, no, something know. like Sansa comes down, and there's a massive battle, and almost everyone dies. Um, Tyrion and Sansa decide to run off together, 
and Bronze Jan Royce is left holding there. <clears throat> left holding the Iron Throne. <laughs> yeah. He's left. At- he's standing there. <clears throat> on his own, throne room, dick in his hand, thinking, what the hell am I going to do? Well, well, I may, as well, may as well sit on it. Yeah, there's a massive battle and everyone dies because they're all involved, apart from Bronze Yon, who, again, inexplicably, is somewhere else. <laughs> he's still he's, alive, Yeah, he wearing just, his breastplate but decidedly not fighting. Yeah, he just turns up at the end and is like, oh, oh, well, everyone's dead. I am <laughs> the... And it, the final shot is him... In his breastplate, still immaculate because it's not seen action, just sitting, <laughs> on, sitting on the throne. <laughs> okay, that sounds that sounds uh, not in the slightest bit plausible. Oh, I tell you what, I'm I'm forgetting. Um, Arya, Arya needs to have a, a character arc here. So she either I reckon she either kills Daenerys or the dragon or both. Um, yeah, I I kind of thought that, but then when I the more I've thought about it, I thought. The the arc her arc now is basically she goes home because that is what she's doing. She's sort of because it's done. This, I think this yeah. moment with the hound is her giving up the like assassin revenge side of things and just thinking I do have something else to live for, which is going back to my family. I think she yeah. might actually end, and this will. I think this might send some fans over the edge if it happens. She might have signed <laughs> up with Gendry, like, at Storm's End. <laughs> I mean, she's not a lady, though, is she? So she'd need yeah. to, like... She'd be like, Gendry, I will absolutely be your lady, but strictly for the shagging only. The rest <laughs> of the time, I will be elsewhere going for a walk in Westeros, because it's nice out there. I like it. Maybe, yeah. Maybe she becomes a tour guide, like a walking guide in Westeros. <laughs> This is where the dragon incinerated the city. And this is where... Because eventually everything becomes tourism, doesn't it? Yeah. So, and, and here it is said that Queen Queen Cersei did horrendous things. And, yeah. and here it is said that the other guy did horrendous things. There are a lot of horrendous things. Yeah. This is Arya, tour, Arya Stark's tour of horrendous things. Yeah. Here are some horrendous things that happened because of dragons. There's some horrendous things that happened because of ice zombies. Yeah. On your left. You know. Take a walk with the badass who killed the Night King, and she could do, she I mean, could have a little sort of there's money backhand, in that. <laughs> she could have a little backhander deal with Hot Pie as well. She, she'd always bring oh, them oh, to yeah. she'd always yeah, bring the, them the to the pub for a, hot pies, yeah, hot pie for a meal. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. I love that. Mm. Uh, oh, Hot Pie, where art thou? We yeah. need more Hot Pie in this. Yeah, that was good stuff. Okay, well there there are rough predictions for what's going to happen next week. Um, we will not be furious if these don't pan out um <laughs> but um enjoy the final oh my goodness the final episode the very final and, uh, episode man. yeah we will be back to help you come to terms with it whether it's coming to terms with a much beloved series ending or coming to terms with some of the just deep anger that you feel for how it's turned down <laughs> we'll be here to help you through it um, on Shortlive Royal and if you want to get involved as ever shortlive royal podcast at gmail.com is the email address or at shortlive royal on twitter 